On every highway, there's a drunk driver hurtling at 80 miles an hour in two tons of steel. In every neighborhood, there's a thief armed with a deadly weapon. In every city, there's a terrorist with a bloody agenda. In every nuclear country, there's a government employee sitting in front of a button. In every cell in our body, there's the potential to mutate into cancer. They are all trying to kill us, and they don't even know us. They don't care that if they succeed, we will never know what tomorrow holds for us. It's a dark start to the episode. It is. Hope everyone's ready. Yeah, this is going to be a good one. It's going to be a great one. So, hello, Neil. How's it going? Pretty good. How about you, Nat? Excellent. Very excited to be hanging out here in the apparently very dangerous New York City. Yeah, well, Strauss <laughs> does not like New York. No, he looks like. <laughs> <laughs> or LA or SF or any major city, yeah. <laughs> for that matter. But uh, he particularly keeps throwing New York under the bus throughout the book. Yeah. And the book we're talking about is called Emergency. The subtitle, This Book Will Save Your Life by Neil Strauss, who's also the author of The Game, The, the Truth, Truth, a few biographies of artists and musicians. He's a New York Times writer New for York a long time. Um, yeah. And this was a, I mean, if you've read anything else by Neil Strauss, you know how his books kind of, they tell a very good story. And the narrative arc is usually very good, but this was a book with a narrative arc, but also had, I would say, some pretty practical tips in there too. Yeah, it's very fun. Basically, the short version is Neil was woken up to experience a number of situations that showed him some of the fragility of the way he was living. So it was like Katrina. It was the first financial crisis, 9-11, obviously. And then from all of those, he realized just how screwed he would be. Oh, Y2K. Oh, yeah. Y2K was the other one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He realized just how screwed he would be in a major emergency situation and decided to do something about it. And then this book is basically participatory journalism where he got really deep into the what's called the prepping community, you know, Mm. preparing for doomsday apocalypse, whatnot, and really went from somebody who was completely entirely vulnerable to these situations to being, I mean, the short version is like second passport, another home on an island, yep. a member of a disaster response team in LA, like saving people from burning trains. Having caches like set up around different spots where he might be with that, with supplies yep. and spending guns. three days in the <laughs> woods with only a knife, living in his house with no power, water, anything for days. Four days. Yeah. Accidentally the fourth day. <laughs> that was another funny part. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's yeah. really this whole journey of yeah. how he, you know, went through learning all of this stuff. And from reading it, it gives you a nice introduction to this whole concept of life is kind of fragile. Society is fragile. We've seen things break down. We've seen riots and craziness. We've seen natural disasters. I mean, especially as we're talking about this, right? We're recording this episode and we've just seen Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma. We've seen the shooting in Vegas. And like that one's particularly crazy because the shooting in Orlando was less than a year ago. And that was the biggest mass shooting ever. And now now there's the bigger mass shooting ever, right? Like it's, shit's getting a little crazy and if you think about it clubs in particular seem extra scary because if you think about the paris attack the what was it the bataclan right is what that was that was a club yeah there was the ariana grande concert there was ariana grande concert the vegas thing was a concert yeah Yeah, it's like that stuff is scary oh yeah being packed in small spaces right Uh, i think 
people are getting more paranoid about this stuff. Yeah. I mean, I definitely was. I was starting to get interested and it kept coming up in the past episodes. And so Adil actually, who was on for the crypto episode, episode seven, recommended this book. Yeah, Adil, and Taylor had read it too, I think. Yeah, I, well, I'm not sure if Taylor had read it or if he'd read other prepping okay, stuff. Yeah. He sent me the other article that I was Got mentioning okay, before. Yeah. So, but he had had an interest in it. As he well had an interest before. in it as well, which yeah. I think is also related to the interest in the cryptocurrency stuff right. and which, some of the which, sovereign which, individual by the way, stuff. By the way, Neil Strauss doesn't talk about right. Well, the book, book came out in two thousand eight. Yeah, I think two thousand nine. But I have a feeling if he wrote it later, <laughs> it would be like half the book. Oh yeah, <laughs> because so many of his issues were like solvable by crypto. Yeah, well, especially a lot of <laughs> like the money how does he stuff. get the money out of the country exactly. or like spread it out from the U.S. dollar and yeah. Yeah, well, that's uh, part of where my interest in crypto has been right. too is just hedging yeah. against fiat currency and the dollar, right? right? Yeah. It's like having some precious metals is good and having some digital internet gold isn't bad either. I think taking a step back mm -hmm. when people hear the word prepping and this includes me until I would say very, very recently, I always pictured like Alex Jones, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like what are, there's all these like crazy things that they talk about, like lizard people and like, oh, I don't know, maybe I'm conflating. Like, Government's going to bang yeah. down your door, yeah, and take your money. Yeah, exactly. Like um, I always, whenever I heard prepper, I would think of them. Mm -hmm. And then I, cause I, you know, like out of curiosity, all of us have gone to like Infowars at some point or like, what are they talking about? And you see the ads are all like prepping stuff. Mm -hmm. So in my head, I was like conflating those two things as being the same even though they're totally not. And after reading this book, you get a really good sense for that. Overlapping circles. They're overlapping yeah. circles. And I think maybe people who are part of the InfoWars crowd are just in general probably more paranoid. So they're more likely to be preppers in general. And of course, that's why those companies are advertising over there. But that doesn't mean you have to be an InfoWars person to be a prepper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can be a prepper and still be a totally normal person. Yeah. Well, there's actually that section in the book this is pretty early on where I think Neil is hanging out with his billionaire friend and somebody else is talking to them and somebody lobs the challenge of, you know, what's the point of getting into all of this? And the billionaire friend basically says, you know, look, do you have car insurance? Do you have health insurance? Do you have like home insurance for disasters? Right. This is just another form of insurance. Right. And especially just knowing that you will have a plan if shit hits the fan, like that alone is pretty reassuring. Yeah. Right. Because, I think looking at the hurricane stuff, right? That can happen in New York, right? I mean, it, yeah, did, it did with we weren't living here Sandy? yet, but yeah, it we did. Weren't yeah, here. Sandy. They're uh, still doing some repairs off of that. That's I know, why they're yeah. closing the L train, right? And there's like it's a lot of damage that was happened during Sandy that they could never fully repair. Now they're closing the train for multiple months to fix it. And, and there's, yeah, there's a lot of situations like that that are legitimate concerns. You could have a major flood or hurricane. You have to think about where you live, right? So if you're in New York, you should be concerned about mass shootings, about flooding, about riots, right? If you live in LA or SF, right? Earthquakes, having a plan for that. Fires. Uh, fires. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, that's another yeah, thing happened. going on right oh now. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It looks insane. Oh, it's, it's still going absolutely on. crazy. Yeah. There are a couple of people I was following on Twitter who actually lived there who were tweeting about it. And then I think some of our friends in SF said they're leaving the city because there's so much smoke that they're so getting smoke, asthma. Can, yep. It's like visible. Like right. you can see, see it's it like there. hazy everywhere. It's like being in Beijing or something. Mm. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's wild. crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's the question, right? Something like that is going to happen to you or near you in your life. Yeah. And do you have and a plan? And it doesn't plan? have to be anything like that. It could even be like if you live in the Northeast or, any, or anywhere where it snows, you could just get a really, really bad snowstorm where yeah. it like, it's very interesting how, you know, like we're, I would say both fans of not necessarily the book, but the idea of the lean startup and this whole just-in-time manufacturing thing. 
But what that does create is a very fragile system. Oh, yeah. Supply, very fragile supply chain, especially because every it's not just digital companies that do it. Every type of company does it where your parts are getting to where they need to get at the exact right time. Your ingredients are getting right where they need to get at the right time. There's no like large inventory pileups anymore. And companies are trying to optimize for as little inventory as possible, which means that if there's a snag in the supply chain at any point, the whole thing could come crashing down. And I think Neil Strauss makes the point that like if food ever got threatened, the amount of like social unrest that that could cause oh, yeah. would be insane like what well, i think what was it he, or one of his instructors or somebody said like 48 hours nine meals nine meals the yeah, difference between civilization and chaos yeah. is nine meals yep. right <laughs> which i would totally believe i mean there's some people who they skip a meal <laughs> get angry right like <laughs> That's the, yeah imagine well yeah i mean i had a um, i had an ethics yeah. professor in college who used to do that thought experiment where he would say imagine that all the power and utilities just suddenly shut off right how long does it take before stuff starts to get bad, right? And you have to start by thinking, okay, what are you going to do, right? Yeah. You're probably going to go home first and try to guard and cash what you have. And then you're going to go out and try to get more. And then once you get out there and you're in the supermarket and everybody else is there, right? Like how quickly does that devolve? Right. And pretty fast. Like, and also when people are fighting for, or there's always that philosophy thought experiment, right? Where it's like, is it stealing if you're stealing to like feed your family mm. and they would starve otherwise? It's like, most people would do the stealing. I'm oh, yeah, pretty sure, right? But then it's everybody believes that. Oh, it's but then it's not looting if you leave that. a note, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but if everybody then believes that, then that causes a lot of conflicts, yeah. right? Well, and that's um, when you start getting into tribes and you've got basically gangs that pop up. I mean, Katrina, mm-hmm. right? There were gangs going around in boats, robbing people and looting houses. Harvey too, right? Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So weren't you telling me about this, that there were, somebody was saying this, that there were people going around in boats trying to rescue people during Harvey. And then there would be people who just basically commandeered the boats because they had guns. Oh, no, I didn't. It definitely wasn't me telling you this. This, <laughs> okay, is, yeah. this is super interesting. They would like steal the rescue boats? Yeah, they would like steal the rescue what? boats because they had guns. <laughs> they would just take them over and leave. Like that shit could happen. Yeah, right? it could. It definitely could. It's also hard to know. As you were saying that, I yeah. had two different thoughts that went into my head. First thought was like, what a bunch of shitheads who are doing that. And then the second thought was like, who's to say I wouldn't do that? In that situation, if I was like the hungry one or somebody I really cared about was the hungry one, yeah. like who's to say I wouldn't do that? Like, I mean, if you've got your kid. No, we're not going to be rational, though, at that yeah. point in time, right? We're not going to be sitting like how we are right now with definitely not starving, drinking some good coffee. Like, you know, we're uncomfortable right yeah. now. <laughs> but if you'd missed eight meals at every, you know, somebody you cared about was going to die because they don't have their medicine or something like, right. yeah, you probably you wouldn't be the same person. No, You're definitely, definitely not, not the same person. Yeah. And that's, he doesn't talk about it too much in here, but pretty much any, a lot of the stuff that you listen to or read pretty much confirms that any human can become that animal in the right situation. Yeah. And that's what Jordan Peterson talks about this a lot too, right? And uh, Hume talks about it a lot too. Hume talks about it a lot, Um, right? I think Jordan Peterson also, maybe he paraphrased I think he's paraphrasing Hume, yeah, he's a big Jung fan. Yeah, where he was saying, I think, uh, he's like, if you can't, realize that you could have been the nazi guard or the ss member you haven't thought deep enough into yourself it's like so basically you're like judging other human beings but those are other human beings who are basically just like you so in those shoes the odds that you wouldn't be doing the exact same thing are not that 
high. Exactly. Like biologically, <laughs> we haven't changed right. really for tens of thousands of years. Yeah. And so it's not like you're magically more rational and better <laughs> equipped than pretty much, you know, every population that's committed atrocities in right. the past Which thousand is years. Which every population. Just pretty much every population. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, like we'd we have in America too. Oh, yeah. Plenty of times. So, yeah. yeah. I think like, yeah, that one obviously gets a lot more play. Which is interesting because... Uh, but we'll go into this. Yeah. Different okay, cool. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what was just so I'd have it for the preview for when we do go into it? What were you what were you going to say? Well, this has just been a curiosity of mine is why does that genocide in particular get so much play? The Holocaust. Uh, the Holocaust? Yeah. So yeah. is it actually the worst by numbers? I don't is it know. the biggest? That's a good question. We're going to look this up really quickly up. because so if you compare it to. You're right. It gets even more. I mean, obviously, it gets more play than like. Even the more recent ones. Well, let's like stick like Nanking, right? Or yeah, Rwanda or um, like everything that went on in China. Yeah. Okay, list of genocides by death toll. This can be a really... Okay, it is number one. Wow, it's number one. Okay, well, that explains that. That explains a lot yeah. of it. Let's see. Oh, I see. Okay, so it does not include non-genocidal mass killings, including the Japanese war crimes, atrocities Oh, because those were not meant to wipe out a race, right? Well, that's, that's hard to believe, though, because, I mean... Like the Japanese war crimes in particular, that was basically trying to wipe out China, wasn't it? They had about a lot of people. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) A great leap forward, geez, 15 to 55 million deaths. Wow. Well, and then in the Soviet Union, too, that wasn't there like 30 million deaths that Stalin uh, had caused? Yeah. Not caused, uh, essentially ordered, right? But those were not... Those were not genocidal. In right. Nature, it wasn't particularly it wasn't genocidal. A race. And a lot of it was neglect and starvation. Yeah. Or and, political enemies. Yeah. Or, but wow. Okay. So, I mean, according to this, the Holocaust is the largest. Six to 17 million. The Great Leap Forward was estimated at 15, 15 to 55. 50. That's a Great Leap Backward. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Top down planning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, man. Well, this is why, like, somebody's making this point that the hammer and sickle should be as yeah. vilified of a symbol as the Nazi yeah. swastika, yep. right? Totally. Because actually people more people about. died. Yeah. Significantly more people died yeah. from Definitely. communism and Stalinism than from Nazism. Right. Yeah. And, then like, the and we are not defending not any of these, obviously. Yes, it, we're just saying it's weird. It's that weird that, that it's symbol. cool to wear a t-shirt that has the hammer and sickle. But if you wear a Nazi t-shirt, you rightly will get your ass beat. Yeah, exactly. Well, like, I, yeah. I think some of the like hyper-liberal like, college groups yeah. use the hammer yep. and sickle as like an identifying symbol that's insane yeah, yeah. right <laughs> it's oh, not man. just like an alternative political view it is an alternative political viewpoint in the same way that nazism is an alternative <laughs> political viewpoint yeah it is an alternative political viewpoint it's just a horrible it's a one. terrible one yes. yeah and a violent one and too viol- yeah. but i think people say like i've heard the reverse argument which is that like nazism is actively calling for people to get rid of certain types of population yeah. whereas uh communism is like in their words, an implementation <laughs> problem, which yeah, I disagree with. But it's a strategy that didn't work very yeah. well. It's slightly different. Sort of. Yeah. Because a lot of it was still It's not a very though, convincing right? argument. No, because a lot of it wasn't just neglect. Like a lot of it was neglect and starvation. Well, there's certainly a lot of killing, but killing wasn't part of the philosophy, right? Okay. Yeah. Nazism is basically... Ethnic cleansing like, and... Yeah. yeah, it's basically like this race is the mm. superior one and so we need to get rid of all the other ones or whatever. So it's very explicit. It's, it's like pretty part explicit. of the creed. Yeah, it's part of that. the creed, right. Whereas I guess, you, yeah, I guess you could say for communism, it's like not so nice side effect of yeah. communism is a lot of people will die. A lot of people will die. Hmm. But yeah, so... Communism is like the opposite of what would happen in an emergency though, type of situation, like what Neil Strauss is talking about. Yeah. I mean, he does allude to like 
what are his two things? It's the Flysians. Yeah, the Flesians. Flesians. And, and what's uh, the other one? I don't remember the term for it, but basically the people who Com- like, who believe that you can communes. form like a commune, basically. Yeah. 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 So basically breaking that out, there's two philosophies. One is that if shit hits the fan, end of the world as we know it, people will just go pure Hobbesian, state of nature, war of all against all. Everyone's just killing each other, fighting, looting. And then there's other people who argue that's that- That's called, the, that's the Fleesian. That's the Fleesian. Yeah. And that comes from Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies. Yeah. I mean, really though, it's like Hobbes, yeah, probably right. older than that too. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure these are not new, like no. not even relatively new ideas. Yeah, well, there's definitely some Greek philosophy around that too. I can't remember who it was. Though. There was probably some oral philosophy before that. Oh, before that, that. Was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then the other philosophy is that we would naturally turn into tribes and we'd be, you know, more communal and sharing. And to be fair, there is some argument for that. So I know this has come up in a previous podcast episode, but we talked about that AI research Hmm. where they did all the prisoner dilemma games. Oh, yeah. And the AI that won the prisoner's dilemma in the long run was the one that did tit for tat, where if you're good to me, I'll be good to you. If you're bad to me, I'll be bad to you. But I'll default to good. Okay. And then so it's like cautiously good. Cautiously good. Yeah. So it's like, I'm going to start by being nice to you. But if you, you know, screw me, then I'm going to come after you. And that actually won out in all of the game theory prisoners dilemma AI programming. That was the best strategy. And what's more interesting than that is that would actually have been a better strategy that wasn't submitted was tit for two tats or two tits for tat, where you'll be nice. And then if they screw you, you'll still try to be nice one more time. But then if they screw you, you'll do whatever they do. And that one actually would have one out because it accounts for cases where the other person defaults to bad before they know you're going to be good. And if they see you being communal, then they will reciprocate by being communal, but you have to give them a second chance instead of immediately fighting. So they're kind of testing you with that first one. Right. And then if you're showing that, no, 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 like I want to be friends, then people will be friendly. So Or but to a bully, a bully might take that take as advantage. like, oh, yeah. I can. Well, but then they'll it's... get destroyed the second time, though. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, you have to live long enough for the third try. Yeah. Or I guess the bully would get wiped out, maybe in that case. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they get a reputation and, oh, and yeah, nobody wants to too. play with them. And It also depends at what scale you're talking about, this disorder versus order thing. Okay. Because what I could see is like, a lot of small tribes forming around certain shared characteristics. I don't know what the characteristic could be. Very well could be race. It's one thing I could see. Religion, I could see one thing. These are just visible things to people. Well, religion, maybe not so much. But, you know, people tend to aggregate around people who are like them in some way, shape, or form. And then I could see people within that tribe being almost communal, but then be very, like, Hobbesian versus others. Because humans already have such a strong others instinct, like distrusting others, being disgusted by others. Mm -hmm. And dehumanizing others that like, yeah, I could see it almost being a blend of the two. Well, it'll probably be like hunter gatherer, right? Yeah. There are still tribal societies around the world. Right. And there's no, you know, single families living in isolation as right. far as we know. And that was right. never something done historically. It's yeah, always like, tribal. Like, we always think of like the native, I don't know how much like Native American history you've read, but I've been starting to get into that a little yeah. bit more. I think I told you on the, it came up on the myth episode, the mm-hmm. Native American myths that their society was all about war. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, it was very communal and inside the tribe, but they were fairly small tribes. And then you had like related tribes that you might be allies with, but there were a lot of wars. It was a bloody society. Well, and going back to some of the stuff that we got very sidetracked at at the beginning with genocides, yeah. uh, there's a big language component to it too, right? I wouldn't even call it a sidetrack. Yeah. I guess it's, it's all kind of related. Like, it all could totally, like, yeah, I mean, the Holocaust happened in, like, there's people yeah, alive. Which is crazy to think about. Yeah. Like, that was 70 years ago. The 20th century was a shit time. And the 21st yeah. century is also, it's been better. Hasn't been great, but it's been better than the 20th better. century so yeah. far. 
so far, it's still so young far, in yeah. the 20th century. <laughs> we, well, at this point in the 20th century, there was World War One was like raging. And then the Russian Revolution would just be getting going right now. It's crazy that all that stuff was only like 100 years ago. Well, that's kind of what's weird about this point of history is that pretty much every 20 year chunk from 1900 on had some major mm. bad thing, right? Where you had like World War One, you had Great Depression, World War Two, you had Korea, you had Vietnam. And then like around 1980, these things just sort of stopped, right? There were and a lot we, of like covert or smaller, smaller things, right? Yeah. Gulf Wars, Iraq, but you know that's obviously nowhere near the scale, right? Of World War II, Vietnam, or World War One, or yeah. Vietnam, even, yeah. And we've gone almost forty years now without anything quite of that scale affecting us, which, yeah. on the one hand, is good. On the other hand, I think that we have lost some of the hardness mm. to those experiences, right? Which is why, like students now riot about like gender pronouns yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that we're not at war with anyone. But also, I mean, then it begs the question of, are we building up to something much worse? Mm. Well, we have the capability to destroy the world. Yeah. Right. Which is, well, I think that's why people are so worried about all this North Korea stuff yeah. and this Russia stuff is yeah. that we haven't had a big conflict like that in a while. Mm. And so maybe this is going to be the big, right. The conflict. like straw that breaks the yeah. camel's back, so to speak, yeah. building up 40 years of quote unquote peace. Yeah. It's also, uh, this is now that we might be getting into the tangent territory. So mm -hmm. tangent number one, well, hey. we've got to get the music by next week. We've got to create some music <laughs> for a tangent. Tangent tone. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, going back to a sovereign individual, because mm -hmm. all that, I mean, that episode is so related to this one oh, as well, yeah. right? Like there's a lot of similar concepts. I wonder in that scenario that they're talking about where nation states are kind of like becoming an obsolete thing. What happens to the nukes? That is yeah. a great question, right? Well, there's, a, there's a lot of legitimate criticism for that whole revert to city-state idea. Okay. And I think military is the biggest one. Right. Right. Where it's like, what do you do with all of that? But then again, spending? you can't nuke your own. So imagine, let's say the U.S. was breaking apart, right? You can't nuke. Like, the U.S. wouldn't nu like nuke itself, right. most likely. Well, I think I one. I hope that not, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, like, what are you going to do if New York's breaking away from the U.S.? You're not going to nuke New York because... You want to keep New York as part of the U.S. If you nuke them, there's no more New York. Yeah. So what are you trying to keep at that point, right? You can't really destroy yourself. <laughs> well, you could, but then it makes it totally pointless. Yeah, exactly. Well, it makes it pointless to not let them break away then because, like, let's say California wanted to break away. Mm -hmm. And in response, Trump was like, fuck them. We're going to nuke them, right? Like, okay, what is like, what does that actually accomplish? Because that doesn't keep them in your territory. Right. And yeah, they might surrender after you nuke them, but now there's no more California. So what did you get at the end? Yeah. So I guess the question is, is it that you can't do anything about a state that wants to secede or is it that they can't ever do it? Right. I'm not mm. sure which side it comes down on. Yeah. I guess I'm tempted to say that if a state secedes, there's really nothing the country can do. Right? Yeah. If it was like enough momentum that somebody, yeah. the state really, really wanted to do that. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, this is like definitely above our pay grade in terms yeah. of political theory, but <laughs> this is why it's a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a good question. I, I mean, yeah. I would actually, I don't know, like. I would love to see that happen. Yeah, like, I feel I like really, it's going to happen in our lifetime. At some point, some state yeah, will secede, whether it's depending on who's in power at the time, it's like going to be a hot potato thing. It's right. like if the uh, Republicans are in power, it'll be a blue state that secedes first. Yeah. If it's the Democrats in power, then it'll be it'll be like Texas seceding. Should Texas is technically US, allowed like, to secede. What do you mean they're allowed to when secede? When they joined the union, they had this. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, they had like know. a shotgun clause. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know if that would be honored, (laughs) (laughs) but in theory, they they wouldn't be breaking the contract. Well, it would be cool, though, if the U.S. turned into sort of a European Union Mm. type thing, right? Like common currency. Common currency, you know, easy moving between borders, certain shared laws, certain shared military agreements. In a weird way, we are, though already um like at least for some types of laws like i think you and i may have talked before about how the alcohol laws work here versus in other countries and yeah we're like a very federated system is probably the right word for it where there's like so many overlapping governments because it's not one nation really it's like so there's state Mm -hmm. governments that regulate it then there's federal government that regulates it then there's like local governments that regulate it and of course each one of them taxes it at different levels, right? right? But then in the UK, where we also do some work, it's one set of laws. And it's just a national law that you just have to abide by. There's no like, okay, London regulates it this way and Manchester regulates it this way. It's just the UK regulates it one way. So in some weird ways, we are like a loosely organized country, but that's probably changed a lot over the years. Like well, it might have been gotten, like that more. I think it's starting to get looser again okay, now yeah. with the amount that states are pushing back against the federal level. Yeah, like the marijuana stuff. Yeah, the marijuana stuff, yep. the gay marriage stuff, mm, yeah. right? Well, now and, it's national. Well, now it's or, national, yeah. but it started, it started right? The states, state yeah. And I, I don't know. I mean, I think this is an imperfect solution, but there's so much bullshit at the federal level oh, yeah. <laughs> that I would definitely be in favor of states like breaking off and making their own rules. And then, look, if you really want to live in like hardcore, you know, New Testament law, like <laughs> southern state, you can go do that. But just don't let their opinions affect what you can or can't do in like California. Yeah, right, right. right. Exactly. And obviously there are like problems with that. You know, if you're stuck in the state and you can't get out and you don't conform to those ideas, like that's a problem, but it would at least be better than fighting at the national level with these. And it's having a national identity. I think there's a lot of value to that, right? You go to a lot of other countries and they actually have a national identity. And the US, we really don't. Actually, didn't Neil Strauss bring that up in the Yeah. We're talking about how the flag is just even by itself is showing how it's many different entities brought into really fractured one. Yeah. Yeah. So it'd be interesting if there'd be a good way to solve that where it's like, all right, you guys want to live that way. You go over there. You want to live that way. You go over there. Have you ever read the Federalist Papers? No. Okay. That may be good, an though. interesting one to do. That was just for uh, those who don't know, it's Madison and Hamilton basically debating back and forth using pseudonyms <laughs> in a newspaper. Actually, I'm pretty sure is where those were published. Okay. And it was basically about this issue of how much of this balance between top down and bottom up do you do and how much control do you give people for over where they live, right? Because rightly, people in New York and Maryland are not going to have the exact same opinions. And people in New York and California certainly have different concerns. Like they might be worried about earthquakes. We might be worried about, you know, hurricanes and other stuff, right? So understandably, like there's value to having the bottom up, like locally controlled government. And then the other side of that, the top down approach is like, well, commerce is easier when it's one set of rules or, you know, then there's also an argument for that. And then at that time, the states were issuing their own currencies, too. So that was a big issue was like, do you have one currency? Do you have national bank? Like, what well, is the-, the monetary policy issue is pretty interesting yeah. because that's actually a problem in Europe mm. is that when you've got one oh, right, central exactly. bank, yep. right, controlling the monetary policy for all these other countries with very different economies. Yeah, with very different economies. In the US too. Like, think about it. California and New York have pretty strong economies. But then like Mississippi, probably not, right? So like you lose a lot of ability to, you know, pull the right levers that your area needs. You can actually say that for a lot of national things, like uh minimum wage too. You need a higher minimum wage in New York versus Mississippi. Right. Like if you got fifteen dollars an hour in Mississippi, that probably goes pretty be, far. Oh yeah, you'd be living like But then that also great. means that companies 
probably can't employ people at the higher minimum wage levels in Mississippi because they don't charge as much for stuff because right. people like wages are just lower in general. Yeah. Well, right. but, and actually, I guess if you had non-standard minimum wages throughout the country yeah. and it was so much cheaper to live places, it could actually incentivize companies to move beyond certain hubs, right? Because you'd want to go, you'd want to go where you can, yeah. yeah. Employees Cause then you have like an arbitrage there. opportunity there too. Yeah. It'd be interesting. Yeah. All right, maybe we'll anyway. exit the tangent at this point. <laughs> the point of all of this is to say that in the event of the next major war actually happening, which yeah. it probably will in our lifetime, uh, some sort of genocide within the country, you know, rioting, like literally anything, you should be prepared. Natural disaster. Natural disaster. Oh, yeah. And that's really becoming, I think, a big one. Yeah. That's what we are getting at over this last half hour. <laughs> you, you should be prepared. This and if a- you're listening to this show, you're you should also be prepared for tangents. So, yeah, that's the- <laughs> but and that that's what the book basically is getting into. So the way he lays it out is kind of cool. He starts with what woke him up to this risk. And I think we've already covered a lot of it. And then he goes through basically three areas. So he talks about escape, which is getting out of the country or getting out of the city that you're in, like getting to somewhere safe. There's survive, which is being able to live in the wild, right? Without dying and then there's rescue which is basically like some of the medical safety stuff that you need to know especially if you're in a major city there were a lot of things in that i didn't realize like how they look at victims in a scene stuff is kind of scary yeah and especially what i didn't realize so bush and his old administration get so much shit for katrina right how it took them so long to show up but one of the things he points out in the book is that it's actually their policy to not show up it's always been fema's thing is like we're and not even just fema all these organizations like he was even saying the la uh, fire department right basically they were doing the course and in the course they were saying we will not be there because you you can't go in when it's at its worst because then you'll like lose all of your rescue creating more victims right which i wonder then is why in 9-11 it seems like they went in Mm-hmm. But is that because they didn't realize the buildings were going to collapse or? That's a good question. Because I know a lot of rescuers died yeah. in 9-11. Yeah. A lot. Like a lot of the victims were at, like uh, firemen or police officers. And I wonder if maybe they thought the worst was over, like the buildings had already been hit. Possibly. Or was it? Because from the book, this book, it seems like they're instructed not to go in, like yeah. not to go in well, although, when it's actually going on. To be fair, he's talking about natural disasters, right. Right. like floods and fires. Right. Or hurricanes. And or, I mean, her, yeah. like firefighters definitely go in buildings to save people. Yeah, that's right? for sure. Yeah. So maybe that's a different situation. Yeah. Maybe this is just different. Yeah. It could be that for natural disasters, they aren't supposed to go in because like take the Sonoma blaze, right? You wouldn't want to send a firefighter in right when it's starting to get bad and then have them get trapped there right. and die when you're going to need them after. Afterwards. Right. So maybe with natural disasters, you have to let them end and then you send it to hell. In. But, but that sucks for people who are stuck in them. Oh, yeah. So the point is you're kind of on your, you are going to be on you your, it's like, on your it's own. It's like policy to be on your own. Yeah. You have to be able to defend or like take care of yourself yeah. at least for a few days. Yeah. Right. And that's why this number of uh, three days keeps coming up throughout the book of you want to have like three days of comfortable supplies to ride out something that happens because apparently it's like about up to even seven days before they'll send in rescue crews. Oh, yeah. Right. And that's why that seems like the you big the number. Water right. And, uh, you want the water and the food and leave be fine for three days without food but wouldn't be happy uh, yeah that's true that is an exercise everybody should do yeah exactly that's it's good for you too yeah if you've never done a three five day water (laughs) fast you should do it just try it just try it you'll be fine i Uh, promise (laughs) um this isn't a tangent this is related i promise Mm -hmm. Uh, because you're giving me the nat eyes Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um was there a major like i might just be blanking but there was no like katrina or harvey level hurricane during obama's time right or was there or did we just get Sandy. lucky? 
Sandy was big. Sandy was big. I was just going to say that, like, your point about Bush and Katrina, I hadn't thought about that before reading. Well, I didn't know that before reading the book. Yeah. That, it, that was just policy. Well, and that's why, and like, we always go back to this tangent, but people getting so outraged about things they don't understand, mm, yeah. right? Well, the news never brought that up. Yeah, the news, of course, they didn't bring that up. It's so much more fun to just, and, okay, so to be fair, I think FEMA was slower than normal getting in, but arguing that they should have been there on day one rescuing people. No, if that's their policy, right. then and that's there's a reason. And their policy. It's not like Bush made it their policy. That was like, all re- so my point is like, just if the same thing had hit and John Kerry had been president at that time, probably this very similar things would have happened. Right. Right. That's what it sounded like from this book, at least. Yeah. It didn't sound like it was really a Bush thing. Yeah, it didn't sound like it was entirely a Bush's fault thing. Yeah. I mean, um, it was definitely a public perception thing, which he definitely screwed up, which was his like <laughs> helicopter ride thing. I remember that. That was, that was bad. Yeah. The optics just, were not good. Yeah. Put it that way. Part of it too is just the situation, right? Like New yeah. Orleans is literally below sea level right. and right. then the levee's yeah, breaking. So yeah. So where it hit, where it hit, how it hit, right? That city is in like the worst possible place to possibly get or to get flooded because so of how it's there's designed. A there's a deep dive article, which I'll try to find, but uh, I'd read it like maybe a year ago about how the Dutch are in a arguably worse spot for floods than even New Orleans is. I mean, New Orleans, you're right, is particularly bad, especially in the U.S. It's probably the lowest major city below. I, I don't think there's anything else quite like that yeah. in the U.S. But they were talking about how the Dutch have dealt with this for like a long time. Of course, they're like situated in the channel, so they're not going to get hit by these types of hurricanes the same way. But they build their levees in a somewhat different way that... Um, it was like comparing building for like the hundred year flood versus the thousand year flood mm. and how it's like, it's going to seem like you're overspending on certain things, but that we chose not to, when I say we as in the U, like it could be just, I don't know if it's a state or a federal thing, but we meaning the U S side did not spend to build like state of the art levees for new Orleans, which might have prevented some of the damage. So it's a yeah. problem with uh, lowest cost, technically acceptable government contracting. Right, it's, the yeah. it's the MVP. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, it's so bad. <laughs> it works for digital, but I don't know if you want that for your levies. For, you don't want no. your MVP levy. Yeah. <laughs> Minimum viable product. I, I didn't realize that 1,800 people died. In yeah, I didn't realize that either. I had no That's idea it was that high. Lot. Yeah. That is a lot. And compare that to Irma. Irma was, what, like 20? Oh, really? Yeah, it was not many. What about Harvey? I mean, every death is not good, but... Okay, so Irma was more as 132, but that's still... 1,800, though. Versus 1,800? Yeah. yeah. And then what about Harvey? 77. Wow. So, wow, so Katrina was like order of magnitude. Yeah, order of magnitude worse. It's almost yeah. like another 9-11 level. I mean, 9-11 was 3,000 people about, but yeah, it's still... So man. we, yeah, I guess... Maybe FEMA did a much better job with this one. Yeah, maybe we've just gotten better at handling it. Or, or it just, could also just be which cities it hit makes a big difference, yeah. too. You know, your whole point about New Orleans being, you know, really situated below. Yeah, below water that could have been a big part of the problem. Yeah. Anyway, we should probably get on to helping people survive these things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so basically in this escape section, he talks about the first challenge, which is if the government kind of goes to shit or something bad starts happening domestically, civil war, right? Where do you go? And he introduces this concept of five flags, which I don't remember exactly who he cited for it here, but it's a relatively common idea in the community. Basically, the five flag system is having a few there's having a number of countries that you are a part of in some way so that you can easily get away from the U.S. or anywhere else in the event of an emergency. So he lists out having a second passport having a safe location for your assets in another country, having a legal address and a tax haven, and then also having a separate country as your business base and then playground countries where you spend your leisure time. So it sounds like you would have a, you know, quote unquote home somewhere. You would store your money in a different country. You would 
have an unrelated passport to either of those. And then you would spend a lot of your time in separate countries playing around, having fun. And then you would base whatever your business is in an entirely separate country, not related to all the ones already did mentioned. Go, did you go down the Google rabbit hole for this? A little bit. Yeah. So did I. It's and pretty doable. I, it's hard for US people though. It's the hardest it for US people. really hard for US people. Yeah. Like, so their whole point about how you don't really need to be rich to make this happen mm -hmm. is totally true if you're not a US citizen. So if you are a US citizen, it's still doable, but it's doesn't make as much sense if you're not already rich, uh, if you're a US citizen. So I will say I've got a couple of friends who have done this and it gets much easier if you are comfortable not living in the US yes, most of the year. That's totally true. Even if you're willing to be a Puerto Rico resident, exactly. it's really so easy. So Puerto yeah. Rico is an easy way to do it. Uh, this is crazy for anybody who doesn't know this. If you buy property in Puerto Rico and you live there either six months, it depends on how much time you want to spend in the US. If yeah. you spend less than a month in the US, continental you only have to spend three months of the year in puerto rico if you want to you pay spend, no federal income tax you pay no federal income tax you pay no capital gains tax at all at all you pay no property tax or anything the only tax you pay is a five percent local income tax to puerto rico that's not bad yeah you can <laughs> either you can either do six months in puerto rico six months in the u.s or a minimum of three months in puerto rico and nine months in other countries and if you start your business there yeah it's your even better right? business pays no income tax yeah. And no gains tax. So you can literally just go live in Puerto Rico half the year, get like a beach house and pay no taxes on anything. And you can still use U.S. services like Wealthfront and whatever. And you still have a U.S. passport. You still have a U.S. passport. So, yeah. Yeah. So the Puerto Rico thing is of all of these options is one that actually sounded pretty cool to me. And I could totally see that being within the realm of all of us. Right. I think anybody can go do that. And I know for a while, Puerto Rico is even doing something where like, I think you have to apply, but they had so many startups they were accepting for this. Right. They essentially had a startup accelerator where they were not just, you You were not just getting all this. They were also paying you to start your company in Puerto Rico. So it was basically like almost everybody was getting accepted to it for a while. I don't know if they still have that program. I know a couple of people who went through their accelerator. Like it's not a bad, it's probably equivalent to like, it's not 500 startups. It's not Y Combinator. But if you're considering like, you know, some of the other accelerators and then this Puerto Rico, I don't know if the Puerto Rico one still exists, but at the time it didn't seem like a bad accelerator. And guess what? You get to go to Puerto Rico and you got money to go to Puerto Rico and then never pay in, or not pay income tax. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you're still a U.S. citizen. So if your concern is like not because some of the concern, right, is like, OK, if you renounce your citizenship, like, you know, how do you get back? Like, how can you come home or whatever? Can you see, you know, your friends? You're still a U.S. citizen if you go to Puerto Rico. Yeah, you're great. There's one of those in Chile, too. Oh, okay. Cool. Chile will invest in you and give you a place to live and an office and all of this stuff if you start your business there. Oh, uh, cool. And I think you pay no... Oh, is it like Startup Chile or something? Yeah, Startup like, Chile. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, a couple of my friends have been involved in that one too. And they, they all said it's like a pretty sweet deal. Nice. Uh, but like you said, the Puerto Rico one is cool because you, you keep your US citizenship. Yeah. And actually the tax thing is one that I hadn't... The sovereign individuals started making me think about it. But if you think about it, since we have a progressive tax system, it's actually better than doubling your salary mm -hmm. is getting a situation Quite a with these better. lower taxes. Yeah. yeah, especially after four or five years of compounding interest. Yeah. The other thing you can do if you do want to live in another country is as long as you spend less than a month in the U.S., you don't have to pay any income tax above $100,000 or below $100,000. So if you make more than 100K, you have to pay income tax. On whatever the delta is. Uh, so it's like the first 100 is uh, exempt? on or? the total. What? Or the first 100 is exempt. I'm not sure. I mean, everybody <laughs> who I know who does this, they pay themselves 99K a year. Right, exactly. That's a smart <laughs> thing to do, yeah. But yeah, so I've got one friend who lives in Colombia and does this, where he lives in Colombia, he pays no local taxes or anything right. there. He runs a 
company in Colombia, but it's a Belizean company. Okay. So it's held by a company in Belize, yep. quote unquote. Yep. So they pay no corporate taxes. He pays himself 100K a year, but lives out of the US 11 months of the year. So he pays no income tax. And then he has a separate Georgian company, I think, that holds like an LLC that has basically like funds all of his lifestyle stuff. Mm. And that's where the rest of his salary goes, yep. <laughs> the rest of his earnings. <laughs> and then that lets him, you know, make pretty significant amount of money pay no income tax on it right and that means you don't need to make as much because think about it, if you pay 50 percent cumulative taxes in the u.s and you make 300k your net is like going to be 150,000. whereas if you make 200,000, but you're not paying any income taxes you make more you're making 200,000 because the, yeah. the top line doesn't matter so when people always compare their like top line salaries it's like who really yeah. cares well, what the top well, line especially when you factor in like cost of living yeah right yep. i don't know if i mentioned this on this podcast before but if you make 75k a year in new york you effectively make more money by making 50k a year in austin i believe it once you factor yeah. in state income tax and cost of living right like there's a lot of other factors than just top line salary i always think about this too for people who like work for themselves as freelancers versus working for a company let's say you make the exact same amount you actually make way more as a freelancer because yeah, you have a slightly higher tax rate with the, well, not slightly higher. You're just paying both sides of the employment tax, the social security and Medicare, but there's so much more you can deduct. So like your bottom line is going to be so much better than if you're an employee when you can't deduct anything. Oh yeah. So it, once you figure out how to do the deductions, right? Yeah. I mean, you can deduct books, you can deduct courses, books, courses, travel, this, this room we're hanging out in, yeah. right? That's office space. Yeah. All right. Like, I mean, oh yeah, travel is a good like, one. With, with the estate work, I was a, not a 1099 consultant, so I couldn't deduct a whole lot. But the year before that, when I was doing all 1099 stuff, mm -hmm. all the travel I did was like, I would always meet up with friends. And of course we talk about work. Like we talk about businesses and stuff. So it's a business. You can deduct That's that as business, business expense. <laughs> all the books I was buying, like, cause Hey, it's research. It's, I mean, Hey, we're doing a podcast on something exactly. on a book. That book's deductible. Um, yeah. I mean, so like there's so much, your, you computer. Can, your cell phone, your internet, yeah. like, you know, yeah, there's so much you can go deduct that. Yeah. Once you start thinking about this game, it's like, it's kind of fun. It is kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the five flags thing is hard for a U.S. citizen. Getting a second passport is difficult. It's really like St. Kitts and Nevis. I mean, I know a lot of U.K. people now and they use like Isle of Man, which mm -hmm. is a I think it's a British territory, okay. kind of like Puerto Rico is with us. But they have, I think, no income tax. There or like a significantly lower income tax versus mainland UK. Okay. But then you have the similar rule of like you can't spend a certain number of days in the UK, but it's still all UK territory. So I think it's like a similar type of thing. Yeah, there's a couple of good articles. There's one by Sovereign Man about places you can get a passport. That was one of the ones I read. And then there was another one, something nomad. Uh, but there aren't a lot of good options for US citizens. You know, I'm surprised this didn't come up, though, in Neil Strauss's book. This came up in Sovereign Individual, the whole thing about the Swiss cantonments. Oh, or yeah, where you can pay 45K. But you have to pay them. You have to make the private treaty in advance or something. Right. I'm surprised he didn't even bring that up. Yeah, this one. Maybe that's not a thing anymore. It might not be. Yeah, that's possible. He wrote this that's, 10 years He after. did say Swiss banks did not want to deal with him. Right, Swiss banks won't deal with US. I think that was after 08, right? Or 07 or something? Yeah, it was after or? like 07, 08 when we passed stricter rules for that. Because now if you have more than $10,000 overseas, you have to report it to the IRS. Yeah. And or you have to you give are, them like your bank Or if you own or, more than 10% in a company that's overseas, you oh, have to give yeah. all financial transactions to the IRS <laughs> that happened in that company. <laughs> that's crazy. It's so crazy crazy yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah but anyway so i thought that was interesting the other thing that was interesting here in that same section was signs that you should leave the country oh yeah i was reading that i was like oh, <laughs> i was like uh <laughs> so here were the three that he had on there one government sealing its borders 
Two, banning the press. Three, forbidding citizens to move money on offshore. So number three is for sure if you're a U.S. citizen is happening. Two, like, it's not directly, but Trump yesterday was talking about it. Yeah, he was so, saying yeah. we should get rid of the <laughs> free press. Yeah. Oh uh, the sealing its borders thing is not happening yet, as far as not I'm yet. aware. Yeah. yeah. That one I find much less concerning because it's pretty much impossible to do. Yeah. Well, right? we can't even keep people, like, you can't keep people out. How exactly. That, that was the point in sovereign individual, <laughs> right? It's like if a farmer from Guam can sneak into the US, like, yeah. you can imagine that anybody can sneak out. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, that one would be much more, uh, I don't know. I don't, it would pretty be hard to do. Yeah. Although they could some blacklist passports. That's true. And some people talk about that for the wall, too. They're like, if it's meant to keep people out, it could be meant to keep people in, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's something to think about. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd be fleeing to Canada. Yeah, oh, right. Exactly. <laughs> you would be fleeing boat, to Mexico, right? probably. Yeah, I'll go sail somewhere. You right? could go flee to Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> go down to hang out in Puerto Vallarta. Yeah, exactly. Party. <laughs> Money goes pretty far. It does. Uh, but yeah, yeah I mean, well, the, the press one's interesting, too, because we're sort of, I mean, we're entering such a weird phase with the press. Well, I think this came up in... Uh, Amusing ourselves to death. Yeah, is uh, it, it's more of a brave new world type of thing as yeah. opposed to this or because this is more like an Orwellian thing that he's talking about where there's like no more free pre- like uh, what is what? it banning I, the press so I've been thinking about this more too where I definitely agree with everything we said in the amusing ourselves to death episode about the whole Huxleyan you know we are just taking the Soma entertaining ourselves but there is an element of the Orwellian you know state control of media that is happening but it's happening in a different way than Orwell described okay what do you mean where in 1984 the point was the state wants to make you think a certain way and so it sends out very specific messages that warp the truth in a certain fashion that is happening but it's happening from political ideologies oh right? not necessarily the not state. necessarily the state but when we say like the left right there's a certain you know group of ideologies within that that the media does warp itself around right. and also on the right, right right you will get very different stories if you read you know huffington post yeah. fox that's a good and point neither of them are true right neither of them are factual they're very heavily interpreted right and so in some ways that is happening where we are getting that like media that's been warped to make you think a certain way but yeah. it's no like stern dictator that you're in exactly yeah it's no stern dictator yeah. making yeah. the media oh. do it yeah it's sort of arose huh. naturally from this like self-censorship and you know comfortable bubble and that's a little scary to me right yeah like it's almost easier if there's somebody who's directing that like it's almost easier yeah. if you could say oh it's the state's fault it's worse when it's us doing it yeah right when we're saying you know no i want to confirm a certain belief right whether that's you know Islam is a religion of peace or all Islam or all Muslims are terrorists. I've noticed that too with my, I mean, you use pocket, right? Yeah. Here and there. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So I use pocket as well. And I've noticed that too with like, sometimes I'll call myself out on the things that I've saved on pocket. And I'm like, this is just a popcorn piece that you have, you've saved because you know, at some point you're going to be like, Oh, I don't feel like reading a real book. And I just want (laughs) to read something that I already know and agree with. Reaffirms my beliefs. makes me feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Then I like look through and I'm like, wow, there's a bunch of articles in there that literally are not going to enrich me at all or not challenge me in any way. (laughs) They're just here. So I can feel good that I have the same viewpoint as the author. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so we all kind of do it. It's yeah. in some ways it's like a human uh, instinct. Like when I think we were saying it earlier, it almost made it sound like, okay, it's other people who are doing it, but it's like, I think we all do it and you have to consciously fight it, but there's probably not that many people that are even aware that it's happening. Yeah. I think we talked about this in amusing ourselves to death too, but it's sort of what happens naturally in a ad funded business model. Yeah. 
where you make money off of clicks and shares. There's a great book called Contagious by Jonah Berger, where he studied what makes things go viral and get shared. And it's three emotions, outrage, fear, and awe. So I would say awe is probably the least. Well, awe explains all the dog videos, right? right? And all of those that get like, because that's a huge part of Facebook too. That's true. That's a good point. And it's literally like dog videos. Yeah, and babies, (laughs) or it's, you know, holy shit, the world. Yeah, right. (laughs) And this is what I tell people when I'm working with them on their marketing strategy, right? Is that if you're not going for a search engine ranking and you want to go for shares, whatever you're creating has to either terrify people, outrage them, or make them just totally awestruck, right? Otherwise, it won't be popular. Yeah. Otherwise, sort of, why are you? uh, Yeah, it won't get shared. Yeah. Nobody will care, which is a really depressing situation to be Unless, well, yeah, especially if the blog is for marketing. No, no, no. I don't mean for marketing. I mean for anything. Well, okay. So I'm saying like, uh, I think this came up maybe on Sovereign Individual, maybe it was just our own conversation. It's hard to know when the podcast ends (laughs) and real life. Yeah, exactly. But um, you know, like, I feel like a lot of people now have blogs more as, obviously some people are writing to get popular, get their blog popular. But a lot of people also, like individual blogs, I'm saying, not necessarily company blogs or uh, that kind of thing. But there, it's almost like a portfolio of how you think, right? So almost like a designer has a portfolio. It's almost like if you're not a designer, how else do you show how you think? And a blog's a pretty good way to do that. Yeah. So there could be something there too, right? Where someone's writing just to show like, no, 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 this is what my thought process is that, like. That's great. Yeah. But but it's not those gonna get won't shared. get shared. No, they're not going to get yeah. shared. Right. No. So I totally agree with you on that. Okay. I'm saying like, but because I said I made a comment that was like, then they shouldn't have even written it. Then oh, I was backtracking yeah, yeah. my own comment of like, <laughs> <laughs> it probably they actually might still have a reason to write it. Well, and that's actually a useful kind of reverse heuristic, right? Which is if you see a headline and the headline is obviously either trying to oh, yeah. scare you, anger you or you know, maybe like, I feel like an inspirational awe stuff is pretty harmless, yeah. right? But if it's obviously trying to scare you or make you angry, then you probably shouldn't click on it or download <laughs> it, right? And like, to be fair, I think we're titling this episode, this podcast will save your life. So we're, we're 100% part hey, of it. Hey, but problem. if you've listened this far, it's an hour in. Congratulations. <laughs> so now we're calling ourselves out. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's the hard thing, right? This stuff works. <laughs> and when you've got an ad funded business model, right? Like you kind of have to do what works yeah. unless you want your company to go out of business. Yeah. I think that was it on the escape. Yeah, not a ton on escape. I mean, the hardest thing with escape is that if you really want to have this other haven to go to, you kind of need a lot of money Mm, or you need to be willing to not live in the US anymore. I mean, it sounded like a lot of work for his escape. Oh, yeah. It took him two years and multiple trips, like all those trips to St. Kitts. And how much money did he have to put in? It was like a few hundred, a couple hundred thousand, 400 or 500,000. Yeah, that's a lot (laughs) because you have to buy property. There, right. So he bought a house and then you have to pay for the And the lawyer was like 50K. Yep. Yeah. It's not cheap. And it also didn't seem like, like, I don't know. I feel like I would have backed out with how shady it all sounded. Oh, yeah. Like I was just like, yeah, pay me, like, get out of my office kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I'll let you know when it comes in. Yeah, and then like, it takes like two years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would not be happy. Yeah, no. So I feel like it's hard for if you're not making a ton. Not, it doesn't have to be a ton of money, but a decent amount of money. If you're not making like at least six figures and are yeah. self-employed. It's really, really hard. Pretty hard. So yeah. I think like the rest of the book, which I thought was much more relevant to everybody, is just the survival stuff, like staying alive in a city, staying alive in when you're not in a city, the skills that you would need, the things you can prep for. That was relevant, whether you can escape the country or not. Because I mean, even he brought this point up too about the escape stuff. If something happens, there's like a good chance he might not be able to get out to St. Kitts. So it's another form of insurance, but 
it seems like the St. Kitts thing is something the billionaire who is billionaire friend. That's totally a smart thing for his billionaire friend to do because why not have a private jet? Yeah. Why not have that other form of insurance? But he was like, oh, I can rely on United Airlines. And I'm like, that probably he mentioned (laughs) United Airlines at one point. He's like, I can't afford a a jet that would take me from L.A. to St. Kitts. Remember that came up. Yeah. Well, but to be fair, I think the way he thought about it was pretty helpful where the it's almost like in a few phases. You've got your you've got your house set up. You've got your local escape and then you have like your ultimate escape. And so it might take you a while to get there. But yeah. once you get there, you're going to be set up for like the long term. Right. Absolutely. And yeah. you can go there preemptively. Yeah. So if you see things starting to break down, right. you can just go. And in the end of the book, they actually are in St. Kitts for the 2008 presidential yeah, election they are, because yeah. they were worried about rioting and stuff <laughs> if a Republican one. Yeah. Right. They were saying it could be, you know, like race riots, like right. Rodney King style. Right. Yeah. And so it's OK. We'll just go to St. Kitts like preemptively. Yeah. That's, that's smart. It's not a bad idea. That's not yeah. a bad idea. And yeah. also it's a nice place. That was the other thing. Thing, so it's right, it's like, a great place to go hang out anyway. Right, exactly. So it's not like let's go to Antarctica for, yeah. <laughs> preemptively. But it definitely wouldn't be the first place to start. I think he did it in yeah. a weird order. Where, yeah, yeah, right. He did that first, yeah. but that was just a matter of circumstance. It was like his sure, friend happened to. Yeah, he was like in that car ride with his friend, right? And then right. his friend brought it up, and then they were like, "Oh, we should start looking into this." And yeah. I think if you were going to implement it yourself, you would do it in a different order. That's probably the did. last stage. It's the last stage, yeah. And actually, there's another article we'll, we'll link to uh, in the show notes that I read that was super helpful. It's a long article. It's like 30,000 words. Yeah, I haven't but even read it yet. So. It's called uh, Doomsday Planning for Less Crazy Folk. And that author really outlines what the first priorities should be. Because one of the things he points out is that you can do all this planning where you've got like, oh, St. Kitts escape, whatever. But if you're not wearing your seatbelt every time you get in the right. car, like yeah. that's going to be what kills you. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's it's a not going to be point. a giant fire that engulfs the city. You're going to die in a car accident. That is a very, very right? good point. Yep. Or you're going to die like falling down the stairs. Yeah, or it's, you're not looking both ways when you cross the road. Exactly. Like, yeah. Do you have smoke alarms in your apartment? Yeah. No. Guess what? Like you're probably going to like set yourself on fire cooking, yeah. right? Carbon like monoxide monitor. Carbon monoxide. Like, yeah. These are easy things. Do the smart stuff yeah. first and then you can think about these other things. Yeah. But yeah, so in the next section, Strauss gets into a lot more of the survival type stuff. And like you, I found that a little bit more useful and relevant to our situations. Yeah. So he jumps into this section on survive and survival and all about what you can do to get by in the wild to, I think he talks about getting out of the city a little bit here too, but mostly like all those skills that honestly, like none of us have anymore. I mean, or at least I don't have, I don't don't think you have them either. I've done some, some (laughs) camping, but I don't know. Some camping, but I I know we've talked about going on a hunting trip at some point. I still think that'd be fun maybe in the spring to do that. But yeah, I've never gone hunting. No, me neither. And Uh, it's, you know, it feels like something that you should know how to do. Or, I mean, like even before reading this book, I was thinking about the hunting thing from a like ethical perspective of like, if I, I'm going to eat meat, which I think I am. I should at least know what it feels like to kill an animal. And he talks about that in the book too. Yeah. And he had such right. a hard time doing it too. Really hard time. Yeah. But it's like when you, uh, I don't know. I just want to ha- like think of my meat as being a former living thing as opposed to like something you just pick up at a grocery store. Exactly. <laughs> like it's so easy for us to just walk into a store and get meat. We don't have to hunt it down, right. and kill it and skin it and pull out all the organs. Yep. And right. Like, but then when you bring it into a survival scenario, it's like, essential oh yeah you know like uh i mean it's not essential but it's pretty essential it's like one of those skills that would be very nice to have you could just eat nuts and plants but it's i mean part of the reason humans were able to evolve the way we did is that we could you know cook meat and we could get our calories so much faster right you know chimps have to spend something like 16 hours a day eating yeah and they all are kind of um uh this also, I think, was in a Jordan Peterson episode where he was talking about chimps and the difference between chimps and humans. And he said chimps all kind of look a little bit fat, 
And like, you know, they're kind of like not, they're not lean in the same way that like your prototypical hunter gatherer human is. And he said a lot of that, like their digestive tract, I think is like much bigger than humans. And so that extra bulge is not fat. It's actually their extra long digestive tract. I mean, our digestive tracts are really long too. Yeah, but I guess not as big. Yeah. Although if you ever see a bodybuilder who has like a really protruding stomach, that's because their digestive tract has swollen. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. certain uh, oh, every growth organ, supplements. Yeah, every, yeah, it enlarges every organ, not exactly. just your muscles, but also your stomach. Also your and stomach and your heart. Intestine. And, yeah. Yeah, okay, interesting. So that makes sense. That that's why chimps look like that too. Yeah, but that's because they're digesting so much plant matter though, right? Right. right. I mean, they do eat meat, I think, but not oh, yeah. much. They, dude, they eat each other. Yeah. Chimps are fucking vicious. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> How are they so strong? Because they don't look like they're that, you know, like you look at like a lion mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, that thing is, that thing's ripped, right? And yeah. like a tiger, you know, is obviously very strong, but I heard chimps are like incredibly strong too, but they don't look like they're jacked or anything. Although to be fair, you can be really strong without having be much jacked. hypertrophy. Yes, yeah. that's true. That's a good point. So there's a lot of people who can, you know, deadlift or whatever insane amounts, but don't look that's massive. And there's a lot of people who are massive who actually aren't that that's, strong. That's a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> so they don't, they aren't necessarily one and the same. That's a good point. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I heard they're just super strong. Like chimps can be really, really strong. Yeah. I think they'll like rip limbs off. Yeah. It's Which is ugh. insane. <laughs> um, so in this survival part of the book, one thing that I I thought was really relevant, not even just a survival scenario, but to life is kind of you default, uh, you don't rise to the occasion, you default to the level of your training. And I think that's so true for anyone who's like played sports, that's totally happened. It's like why during pressure moments, like a lot of times people's levels fall during that time because you're stressed. When you're stressed, you can't operate the same way. You can't think logically. You're in that heightened emotional state, right? So you're just going to go off of that instinct or the training. Yep. And so his point here is like to prepare for these sort of survival scenarios. That's why you need to train because you're not going to rise to the occasion. If you've never trained, you're going to default to the level of your training, which is you're not going to be able to do anything. So he keeps bringing up this like in a survival situation, would he be one of the people getting eaten yeah. or eating others, <laughs> right? He says <laughs> that like multiple begin- times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And at the beginning, he was like, oh, I'd definitely I would definitely get, get eaten. Get eaten. Yeah. <laughs> um, Have you ever had an experience like this where you got into some weird disaster and your mind just like shut off and you had no idea what to do and you like just were pure on instinct? Um, Not really. I would say there've, there've been times where, yeah, no, not, I've never been in like a disaster scenario. Not at all. Yeah, not really. I mean, there's times I've been super stressed out, mm-hmm. but in hindsight, not any kind of like life or death kind of scenario whatsoever. I've had like a small one where I was cooking once and I was heating up the pan to put meat into it and I was heating up like grapeseed oil and it lit. Oh, so I had like a cast iron pan and the bottom of it was covered in oil and I'd been heating it up and I guess I'd let it go too long and it just burst into flames. So I had this massive grease fire in a 10 inch cast iron pan oh, on the stove and it was the weirdest thing. My mind just turned off, right? It Like I had absolutely no idea what to do, right? And just in that crazy state, and this is like a horrible thing to do. Obviously nobody do this. I decided it made sense to carry it outside right so i'm literally carrying this pan that's on fire that's on fire with oil sloshing around that's on fire like through my living room and then putting it outside and it's amazing i didn't spill this and just like burn the whole place down obviously like fire alarms are going crazy 
And it wasn't until I put it outside and had, you know, like 20 seconds to like start to recuperate my thoughts that I remembered that I had a fire extinguisher. Uh, and it was in the kitchen, the which you probably had water near exactly. you as well. It was well. in the kitchen. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, no, no. You do not put water on a grease fire. Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> that, that's how, that's actually the worst thing you can do. Okay. Because, oh, because the energy, right, would just explode? Like, no, no, no. Because uh, the water would instantly. The water would spread out the grease. Right. right? Yeah. And so it would go everywhere. But no, I remember I had this fire extinguisher, so I went back in and I right got underneath it. your sink, probably right underneath right? my sink, yep. exactly. Went in and got it, and went back outside and put it out. But you know, one, if I didn't have the fire extinguisher, I would have been really fucked. Yeah. And two, that thought did not occur to me. Was this in Austin? Or? Yeah, it was in okay. Austin. Okay, yeah. Right? So you had an outside area, but that was pretty far from your kitchen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if that happened now, as I'm saying this, I realize that we don't have a fire extinguisher. We should probably get one. Yeah. And there's nowhere outside that I could take it. Not that I should do that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's yeah. Like, there's no outside. <laughs> I could put on We're a fire new. escape, I yeah. guess. <laughs> but yeah, you have to practice this stuff, right? Or yeah. expose yourself to it in some way because when it actually happens, you're not going to be as logical as you think you are, right? If I went up to somebody and said, hey, what will you do if your stove catches on fire? They'd say, oh, I just, you know, get the fire extinguisher and put it out. But but it's easy to say that. Yeah, you don't know what you're actually going to be doing and how you'll be thinking when yeah. it happens. And it's a scary thing. It is. And having one of those experiences, I think, is actually really helpful because then you realize just how stupid you are. And what happens to your brain, it sounds like, when oh, something yeah. like that happens, yeah. Yeah, just complete short circuit, like no idea what to do. Pure instinct. Did you have, when this chapter, when you were reading this, mm -hmm. did you have that thought of like, because uh, I know, okay, I'll say the thought that I had going through my head and then we'll see if you had a similar right. thing. Like, I almost had this like background to web in my brain going like, yeah, but what if something happens that you don't prep for? Like, or no, right. no, no, not, not what if. What you prep for is not what's going to happen. It's going to be something that you didn't <laughs> yeah. prep for. It won't be the obvious thing. Yeah. But then the other half of my brain was like, that's stupid because you might as well still prep for something. Yeah. If you're not going to prep, then you're just inviting something to go wrong. Yeah. I mean, they talk about it some in this book and talk about it more in the other article that you will probably get the specific thing wrong, but you can get the broad things right yeah. where you don't necessarily know like what kind of disaster will happen, but the way you prepare for a flood, for a riot, for a power outage, for an internet crash, for a financial crash, they're all pretty much the same. Right. You it's also mentality yeah. to it. Uh, and so that I think is helpful because like definitely it will be something we don't expect. Nobody could have suspected 9-11, but you could have prepared for some terrorism disaster scenario yeah. right like natural we crisis we live on an island right if you think about it manhattan's yeah. an island and there's only a few ways off of it and 9-11 yes created like if you were in lower manhattan that's one set of like one type of disaster but if you were in the rest of the city it was still a disaster especially if you had to get off oh yeah and you didn't know if it was over right that right. was the crazy thing i'm sure yeah we they closed the bridges and tunnels and i'm sure we can find pictures of it online too but people were like stuck on the island right so many people commute onto the island every day and this happened during the work day so like you would have just been stuck and no idea when you were getting off and if the attack was even over or not yeah so and then you're just boxed in i mean i think for new york like so earlier you were saying like the obvious things to prep for like if you're in la like the hurricane oh, not hurricane, the earthquake <laughs> and if you're in you know if you live in florida probably a hurricane is probably a smart thing to have some type of plan in place for i think if you're in new york it's good to prep for any scenario where you'll be trapped on the island for a while with potentially the supply chain not getting to the island either so that's food that's water also a raft 
Hmm. So I've got a buddy. That's a good idea. Yeah, I've got another friend who lives in Manhattan and in his bug out bag, which is basically like a bag that you which put we'll together. To, yeah. yeah, we'll get to. But in his bag, he's got a rapid, like an emergency raft. That's a really good idea. And I'm definitely going to get that. Yeah, it's a 1,000 pound emergency raft. So like, it holds up to 1,000 pounds. Yeah, it holds 2,000 pounds. So, you know, it can hold him and his girlfriend and some yep. of their stuff. Yep. And then they would basically just go straight to, to New Jersey. Yeah, just yep. go to Jersey. They've got like a couple paddles. And I mean, I think about that with me too, because I live one avenue or almost two uh, two avenues away from the water. Right. And so I could literally just like walk over there, climb down yep. and hop in and be out. Yep. And that would be so much better than yep. trying to ride a motorcycle through the city yeah, exactly. or try to like drive. Yeah, I mean, me too. I live two a- I live two avenues from the river, same river as you. Yeah, yeah. same river. <laughs> right? Just a few uh, like a couple miles down, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that would definitely be the move, Yeah, right? Don't yeah, try definitely. to drive out because that's going to yeah. be insane. Or, that's going to be insane, yeah. yeah. No, that's a great point. And then I'm sure the raft when it's not inflated is pretty easy. Yeah, you said it's pretty bag. small. Yeah. Right. So you that's can just a really smart carry idea. in your backpack. Yeah. Do you have one? Are you getting it? I'm going to get one. Should we link to it in the show notes? Actually, yeah, by the time this comes out so i'm planning on doing this like getting an initial setup for myself yeah i'm definitely planning on doing the bug out bag and then sure. i want to set up my parents house too yeah. because like you know dc pretty easy to get to from here and so yeah. i feel like my plan would be to get there and then they've actually got another like small place on uh oh maybe i shouldn't say this actually don't say where on they, they have, the air they have no. another yeah <laughs> somewhere <laughs> And I want to like really set that one up too, just yeah. sort of for fun. Right? Yeah. And, but then you have a plan. Then you have an escape. Yeah. yeah. And it's a lot easier to get to than sink kids. That's one thing that always freaked me out about like Long Island. If mm-hmm. you think about it, there's parts of Long Island that are like a few hours from the mainland. You could think of a supply chain problem happening out there pretty easily. I mean, I know there's paths to get in by water and stuff, but like, I don't know, like that would be on one hand, you're more insulated too, right? Any disaster happening on the mainland, but your plan to get out might and you're pretty far from airports too, in some parts of Long Island as well. Yeah, if you're on Long Island, and you don't have a boat or access to a boat. That's what I mean. Yeah, if you don't have a boat. Yeah, you're in kind of could be stuck. Yeah, well, because he makes that point later on in the book, too, is that if you have a sailboat with a desalinator, you can live for pretty much forever. There's not a lot that would be an issue, yeah. right? Because you've got water, yeah. you can fish, and as long as you have a way to cook it, right, you're pretty much set. You'd be okay. Yeah. So that's actually a pretty good backup. That plan. might be a good skill to learn too. Sailing. I feel like that'd be fun. Be kind of interesting. I love too. sailing. Sailing's yeah. so fun. <laughs> do you yeah. know how to sail? Mm-hmm. It's it's probably one of my favorite things. I'm gonna take lessons from you, Nat. Dude, let's do it. <laughs> let's well, do it. In the survive section, he's going through how he learned how to do all of this. One of the things that seemed like it was really useful was this cert training, community emergency response yeah. team. Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. But I would be down to take one of those. Yeah, I would be too. Yeah, go like join it for New York, where they train you in responding to disasters. That was where he said the authorities wouldn't be coming. Right. Well, he didn't say it. The authority who was training the class, I think, it was like a fireman, right? Yeah. Who was saying yeah. it and. So your first job is your family and your community. So when disaster strikes, you take care of the people around you because the officials will not get there for a while. It sounds like a a really cool way to learn some of this stuff. And also, I don't know, it'd feel good. It would be nice knowing that you have those skills. Right, exactly. I feel like in a lot of other avenues of life, we don't default to the system. Like for our careers, right, we've been pretty... I don't want to say anti-system, but we've been definitely operating outside of like the typical, okay, you graduate college, you go to the career fair, you can yeah. go do one of those things, right? TOC or BOC. For more on that, right. check out NatChat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we've done that for like our work lives. I don't know about you, but for me, when I, as I was reading this book and I was thinking about all, like anything that could go wrong, I'm like, right now my plan is basically to trust the system, which I kind of have never done for anything <laughs> else. So it seems odd that I would do that with my life, like yeah, trust my life in the system. 
It's like we we criticize the system for be being bad. so inefficient with everything else, yeah. and then we think that it will just magically work for a disaster. Probably not. And also, if you think about risk, like you have to think about magnitude of the risk too, right? right? Not just like the probability of the risk happening. You also have to think about the what are the consequences of that. This is most likely the biggest potential consequence. Like you'd be dead oh, right? yeah. if it if you didn't do it properly. That's the crazy thing is you know thinking through it. It's not hard to imagine something like a really bad situation happening in the next five to 10 years. And the difference between even just doing a little bit of preparation for it and doing nothing is massive, right? Like they've got, uh, this is in a later section, but they basically have like three qualities and three skills where if you can just get those down, you're going to be pretty okay. And it's uh, nature awareness, physical fitness, self-mastery, and then learning how to use a hand drill, build a debris hut and use a throwing stick, Mm. right? I know how to like, I'm fit, and I guess like whatever self mastery is, I feel like I have some of that. I could like not yeah, eat for five days. Understand? Yeah, right. That's but a big thing. I feel like yeah. that's a good one. But yeah, I mean like building a debris hut using a hand drill. I don't want to do any of that. Yeah, right? I don't even know how to make a fire. Yeah, you know I've never done that from scratch yeah. either. I'm great with like a flint and tinder. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was gonna say give me a match. Yeah, like, I'll be good. Oh, that's another cool thing though for the bug at bag. I think the waterproof matches that mm-hmm. they have. What was it? it? Had like a picture of it too in the book. There was like a type of match he had that he was recommending. Or one of his friends was recommending to yeah. him. Well, there, there are waterproof matches where it's basically like a wax coating around the tip of it. Yeah. And so as you strike it, it wears oh, down the wax. Oh, then there were also strike anywhere matches too. Oh, yeah. Those are cool that was as well. There. Yeah. Yeah, where it's got it on the tip already. Yeah. And so, But yeah, I've never done the fire from scratch thing. If you think about it, that's actually really useful. That's a very useful skill. You can yeah. boil water. Boil water, cook food. Yeah. Keep warm. Yeah. Right? Like all send up useful. signals. Yeah. All pretty useful things. And apparently learning how to build the shelter is huge too. The stat that was like, oh, in minus 40 yeah if you have what is it six, six feet, feet of debris yeah, six yeah. feet of debris and you'll Which stay is, warm to be fair, a lot 40. of debris but at minus 40 like it's impressive yeah well and a lot of people prioritize things incorrectly if they're in the wilderness where they think that they should get water and food first yeah. but really the first thing you should do is build shelter mm. because yeah, food should probably be last food is last yeah you can go three weeks without food you'll yeah. be fine yeah. but if you're is that the next fast you're doing is there gonna be an article <laughs> on that chat in three weeks no <laughs> I would, three week water fast <laughs> i would do seven days i wouldn't do yeah, much longer than that <laughs> you can you can you know it's like obviously i mean gandhi right did longer than that people yeah. have done longer there was the norwegian guy who did over a do year it voluntarily <laughs> they, yeah exactly they do it, right so i mean it's possible it is not ideal not probably. ideal yeah not ideal i mean you guys will have to look this up i don't remember exactly what it's called but there was a guy i think in norway who did over a year of fasting really because he was How? hundreds of pounds obese oh yeah and so he was like you know what? i don't want to diet i'm just going to stop eating and then he would check in with a doctor every few days and he took some multivitamins and stuff that's what i was going to ask how did he get his minerals and stuff yeah. but he was he was yeah. taking like a supplement he was fine totally fine body just ran off fast for like a year. <laughs> it's just crazy. He was obviously drinking water. Yeah, and drinking water. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's pretty amazing. But yeah, if you're exposed to the elements for three hours, you know, in like bad elements, yeah. you're dead. Right. But I think, by the way, this brings up uh, an interesting point too. What about like urban survival versus wilderness survival, right? Because like, okay, the shelter thing in an urban scenario, you could probably get into some shelter that's somewhat warm, right? Might not be optimal, but you can probably find something. Right. But the throwing stick thing is probably not relevant for an urban scenario. I mean, it might be. It might be. Like, it seems like there's better things in an it, urban scenario. Yeah, but at I the same know. time, like if you get, you know, let's say that something really crazy happens, financial collapse, massive rioting, you know, you're going to want to bug in for as long as possible. Yeah. Stay in your house. Don't go outside, right? Lock everything down. Go through your reserves. But eventually you're going to run out of food. You're going to have to go out. But wouldn't a gun be better? 
Well, yeah, but you're going to run out of bullets eventually. That's true. Right? Like, that's the thing is that the benefit of the throwing stick is that it's an unlimited resource. Right. right? And so that's true. Absolute worst case, you know, apocalypse situation. You'll still have a weapon you can tap into. Right. Yeah. Whereas you'll run out of bullets eventually. You'll even run out of arrows eventually. Right. Right. It'd be great to get really good with a bow and arrow, but eventually you will run out of arrows. Maybe you can learn to make your own. That's good. Do you have a really good knife or no? I do not. Neither do I. I'm going to soon. That's another one. Yeah. That's another thing. (laughs) Well, actually, I mean, one of the unfortunate things about living in New York is that it's really hard to have a gun here. It's really hard. It's really hard. Actually, I almost, uh, I was really into shooting like senior year of college. And this was, that was 2013. I forget. There was some, there were some reasons. I forget why I was getting like really into it, but I I enjoy it too. Like I've, like I've shot a bunch. I don't own a gun. I've never owned a gun, but I almost bought it in Pittsburgh. It's not that hard to buy one. Yeah. Pennsylvania is easier. Yeah. So I I almost bought it. And then I realized I was moving to San Francisco. So I was like, oh, this is going to be a huge pain in the butt. I was like looking up like how you can legally own a gun in California. And I was like, this is a, a nightmare. Then when I went to California, there was another moment where I thought, oh, maybe I should buy one. And I chickened out again after looking at the rules. And then I hadn't thought about it for the last two years. And then I was reading this and I was like, oh, I should look into New York. And it's not easy. Yeah, it's not easy at all. Um, Bow and arrow is probably easier. Probably. And that's yeah. almost as effective. Yeah. It's definitely got more stopping power than a handgun. Yeah. It's also just harder to carry around. Though. Yeah, it's a lot harder to carry around. <laughs> yeah, like that. Like I'm thinking like the boat scenario that you brought up. Yeah. You have to get on the boat. You have to get on the boat. It's a lot easier to walk around with your gun or yeah, like exactly. have your gun on the boat. Than you can't one arm a bow and arrow. Yeah. Right. Well, you carry supplies in the other hand. And like, okay, I understand why cities are like, they crack down on guns and stuff. But to be fair, this book actually lends some credibility to the view of like people who are very pro-gun. They say they need the guns to protect themselves. Right. And to be fair in this book, like the government people even said you will need to protect yourself because we're not going to be coming in a disaster scenario. So if you think about it, like there is something to what that, you know, the very pro-gun crowd says. The gun stuff is interesting. The more research I do on it, the more kind of like pro-gun ownership I get where it's really easy to see something like Vegas and then say like, oh, like we should outlaw all yeah. guns, right? And first, like you kind of have to look at the statistics, right? Yep. And like obviously Vegas is a massive tragedy, but it's nothing compared to how many people get killed in like gang-related violence with handguns, yeah. right? But it just doesn't show up in people's minds because it's happening like every day in Southside Chicago. Yeah, apparently in Chicago they were showing how it's like the number of deaths that Vegas had is like it happens quite like multiple times per year. Yeah, not in one day. Not one day. But it aggregate it. Totally yeah, happened. Yeah, 468 murders in Chicago in 2015. And right? 416 a year before. 2014 and 2,900 shootings. Wow. Damn. And that, okay, so that's just Chicago. That's one big city. Yeah. But these, you know, these things don't show up in the data, right? So when people said 7,000 guns were confiscated by police (laughs) in one year, it's so much. And that's just the ones they found, which I would imagine are probably in, it's like 10% of the actual. Oh, yeah. Well, there's more than one gun per person in the US. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's known. Yeah, known. Right? That's crazy. (laughs) So many guns. On Uh, one hand, that makes it really hard for someone to invade us. I think there's like a Chris Rock skit, which is like when he's talking about when, uh, how quick the US took over Baghdad in the uh, Iraq war. And he was talking about that. I think he said, yeah, it was like a week or something. Okay. And he was like, you couldn't take over Baltimore in a week. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, that was the that was part of the original goal, right? Yeah. Is that all U.S. citizens could be part of a standing militia. Right. And it protected you from the government. The dual benefit. Uh, yeah, the dual yeah. benefit. And that's why people, you know, it's part of why people say they want to have a gun is self-protection and protection against the government. And it's not a completely insane claim. 
And to be fair, most people who are arguing for gun ownership do not have any malicious intent with it. It's a hobby. It's a collector item. Or it's this kind of thing. It's this kind of thing. It's like hedging. It's like an insurance. Exactly. It's cheap insurance. Yeah. If you looked into like the LA riots from, I think it was 90. Like the Rodney King stuff? Yeah. Uh, Not a ton. The like Koreatown stuff? No, I don't know. There's some really cool like documentaries on uh, YouTube about it. I forget. There's one in particular that I watched. I'll dig it up and I'll send it to you and we can put in the show notes. But Koreatown like protected itself strictly using guns. Like the police abandoned it. Wow. They basically said it was like not, they went and protected like other neighborhoods of LA, but you know, Koreatown was not a high priority for the LA PD. They basically said we're withdrawing. Wow. And there's all these like videos of Korean business owners, like on the roofs of their stores, pointing rifles at people who were rioting and people got shot who people tried to loot. Wow. And Koreatown got shot and they were defending their stores with their own guns. Like, (laughs) but that's the hedge, right? Because that's the insurance. It's like they had the guns. And not everybody did, right? So it was like a community thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so certain the people who did basically were the ones doing that protection. But they basically were, I guess they had their guns as insurance for the police not yeah. protecting them, which is exactly what happened. Well, and it's one of those things too where, you know, would it be a preferable world where nobody had guns? Yes, yes probably. Probably, yeah. But when there are already so many right. in the US, like it's basically par for the course for self-defense. Because, you know, if you bring a knife to a gunfight, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. So it's yeah, it's not so crazy to argue for it. Yeah. And it's, you know, like they outline here. And if you talk to most responsible gun owners, it's not hard to keep it safe from yeah. your family and everything. Yeah. Right. And the technology keeps getting better for yeah, that, too. There's like really the, there's like I mean, just like how you can unlock your phone with your fingerprint. Now there's like devices that actually let you do that for your gun. Yeah. Fingerprint so, safes. Yeah. And then that and you know, keep the bullets and stuff in a separate place. Right. Like there's a lot of ways to do it. And kind of like just responsible gun owners is a good skill to have i think learning how to shoot is number one like okay so it might be hard to maybe if you live in new york right it's a big step to go from never having shot to then just buying a gun yeah that's a pretty because you got to jump through a lot of hoops so i'd say easy enough to go shooting once like go to a shooting range and just try it and it's a pretty like useful skill it's kind of fun too to learn like i wouldn't say i'm a good shooter or anything but it's it's fun it's just a fun skill to to try and i want to keep shooting i want to shoot more i don't know if i'll buy a gun if i'm living in new york but I feel like in a disaster scenario too, like not every disaster scenario, but certain disaster scenarios like riots, probably guns would be super useful. Like I don't think a gun might not do that much in a hurricane until the aftermath. Yeah, it would be the rioting and the looting, right? Because I mean, I'm just thinking uh, like bug in situations too. If, you know, shit hits the fan and I have to hold my apartment for a week or two weeks, at some point in that period, there will be somebody at your door trying to take your shit. Right. And you're going to need a way to keep them out. Yeah. Right. Like it's just, you know, it's not fun to think about these things, obviously. But it's if you're going to try to protect your stuff, it's almost silly not to go all the way with it. Uh, but OK, obviously, the flip side is do all of the more likely things first. Right. Right. Like we talked about. Exactly. At the beginning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, this is uh, like the raft seems like a really good idea. Yeah. The raft is like a great <laughs> idea. The just getting some food and water. Yeah, That's the easiest thing. Right. Like, like, yeah. That's the place to start gun like getting guns and weapons is at the far end yes. of the prepping just like i would put that in the same boat as like the country escape plan as well yeah, like exactly. escaping the u.s like yeah that's in the same 
It's probably before that for me. Yeah, I would say buying guns is like the step before the second passport, the, the second like, passport yeah. country, all of that. Yeah, those are great things to all have as well, but it's like not at the top of the priority yeah. list. Food and water. But probably, people like to start there because it's kind of fun and <laughs> yeah. sexy. And like, I mean, yeah, hey, I going shooting is not a bad fun activity too. No. If you want to like just look for something to do this weekend, like I just mean in terms of prepping, you know, like oh, priorities. Definitely. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> buying a gun. For, exactly. You know what might actually be interesting as we're saying this mm-hmm. is actually buying ammunition. Because remember, I think there's a part of the book where he talks about ammunition will be the currency, like a yeah. currency. So it's like, if you have ammunition, you can probably trade that for other things with the people who have guns. Yeah, exactly. Just buy some like nine millimeter well, rounds. Yeah, or, or then they, if you don't have one though, they oh, just, just stick you yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, let me get this straight. Yeah. <laughs> you want to trade bullets. <laughs> yeah, maybe that won't work. Yeah, I'm not sure the social contract will hold out yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's anybody enforcing those contracts. We can't take them to court if they, yeah, if they fall for <laughs> Hey, that guy mugged me for my food <laughs> after. <laughs> But yeah, so other stuff at the far end, motorcycle training, obviously much better for getting around than a car in situations. That was a funny part, though, when he fell off or he <laughs> yeah. got in the accident. He gets in the accident. And he's like, hmm, I'm probably going to kill myself trying to save myself, <laughs> yeah. right? Which is kind of common for a lot of this prepper stuff, right? Yeah. If you get really into guns, right, you might you accidentally might shoot yourself, right? Yeah. If you get really into flying, those small planes are dangerous. Yeah. A lot of people die flying small yeah. planes. So that's the one thing you have to be careful about. Uh, there were some other little things in here that I thought were really interesting, just little tidbits. If you do get stuck in your house without water, there's 40 gallons of drinking water in most home heaters, and you, it's safe to drink. And then there's gallons more in the toilet tanks, yeah, the right? Tanks so in the back, but don't drink the bowl. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good way to get your idea. If you buy gallons of water, don't put them on concrete. Because it interacts yeah, with the was, plastic and contaminates yeah, that was it. something I didn't know. Yeah, I had yeah. no idea. I feel like a lot of people probably make that mistake. If there's a nuclear attack, you can hole up in a basement or near the top floor of the highest building around and then just cover all the openings with plastic or duct tape. And we were starting to talk about this earlier, that nuclear bombs, at least the ones that we've seen, are not as bad as people think they are. Right. Uh, I mean, they're bad. They're bad. They're certainly they're bad. really, really bad. But I think we have this image of one drops and it's just total annihilation. Well, I think like the dropping part is even less of a, okay, it's definitely a threat, obviously, North Korea and all this other stuff going on. But the like dirty bomb thing is a little scary, but those are much, much smaller though. Right. Right. And so that's like, yeah, the, still terrifying, still though. terrifying. But it's like, to your point, it's not like one dirty bomb would destroy an entire city. Right. It's kind of crazy how easy it is to do a dirty bomb though. Yeah. yeah he said that, right? It's like the x-ray material thing yeah it's like well, was it's even weird stuff or something I, I was reading this somewhere too but you can just like if you can find from a nuclear power plant or from you know even get it from another nuclear country just like basically it's like plates of uranium it's part of how they're stored and apparently all you really have to do is take one and just throw it on the other one Oh my God, and that will start a it? reaction. Yeah. <laughs> or you do it the way that we did the atomic bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which was you basically fire a small piece mm. of uranium or plutonium into another one. And that starts a chain reaction. And that basically. starts the reaction. But you could basically rig a gun to do this, where all you would have to do is have like one big piece and then a tiny piece in the tip of a bullet. And then you could just shoot the big piece and that would like do it. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Right. Like <laughs> that. We, and it's kind of scary how easy it apparently would be for someone to do some of this stuff. It's kind of scary when you think about a lot of this stuff. I mean, I don't want to give anybody like evil any ideas, but it's yeah. like doesn't seem that hard to cause like a mass casualty attack. Like it, it almost surprises me that it doesn't happen more. Yeah. That's always been my thing with terrorism and like yeah. ISIS and stuff is that it should be happening more if it's that powerful of an organization. Yeah. It would not be that hard to just hate. roll into Times Square and cause like massive havoc. Maybe it's harder than we're anticipating. Maybe. Right? Like, obviously, we haven't tried to do this. Yeah, I don't intend to. But it seems like it should happen more. 
with the amount of damage one person can do. Yeah, exactly. Or, I mean, and we're talking about like New York is a, like you can't go anywhere without seeing a cop, right? So New York is probably one of the more fortified cities. The NYPD's budget is bigger than many military budgets around the world. It's pretty like high. I forget. I saw there's some incredible stat I saw about that, but there's so many other cities that you could do it and cause a ton of damage. And like, I don't know how somebody would stop you. Right. But yeah, I think you're right. Maybe they're just not as powerful as they try to portray themselves to be, or they can't convince too many people. Because they always rely on these like inspired people who they've never actually met, but they're inspiring over the internet. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's like that happens way less frequently than we would think. Like a very, very, very small percentage of people actually get convinced. Or it's not actually that they want to start shit in the US. Mm. It's a way of unifying the people locally with a common hatred. Yeah. Right. That was one theory. I don't know if I don't know where I heard this or if I thought of it, but it was just like all you do is just shit on the US and that unifies people locally. But you never actually start anything because the moment you do, right, it's not like ISIS is going to have any chance if we actually go all in. Right, exactly. (laughs) Or I mean, the same thing I would say applies to North Korea, too. Yeah, it's a way to unify. There was that crazy article this week where... The New Yorker one? Yeah, was that the one where the guy had, like, interviewed a bunch of North Koreans and, like, had been there? I haven't read it. Okay. Uh, I mean, it was pretty good. It was the only... I mean, the major takeaway I got from it was that people there seemed to actually believe that they would win in all out versus all out. Oh, God. Like, they (laughs) actually think... They're like, of course we would win. Like, it's not even like a... Like, I think in their minds, they are what we know the US to be. Mm. (laughs) Like, they think that's them and that we are what what we perceive them to be. (laughs) Right. So they're like, what a dumb question. Of course, North Korea would win in a direct war. (laughs) Maybe we're the ones who are wrong. I had that thought as I was reading the article, but I was like, no. Go away, Neil. Go away, paranoid Neil. (laughs) Maybe North Korea is the only country that actually knows what's going on. And everywhere else, it's just like... uh, our own bubbles. Yeah. Yeah. The rest of us are in the Matrix. I don't know if that is reality, then... I wonder how many watch lists this podcast has gotten. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, more listeners. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. (laughs) Uh, There's a few other things that were good to know here. If you're in a building and a bombing happens... Don't run to the exits or anything. Mm. Go to a bathroom and clean yourself oh, off. Could be secondary. Exactly. Uh, secondary yeah. explosions near the exits. Mm. But go to the bathroom, find a sprinkler, break it open and decontaminate yourself in case there, there were any chemical agents. Oh, yeah. That's, that was a really good one. Yeah. Uh, if you're OK, this is probably a really good one to know. If you're ever in a public area and someone starts shooting, like spraying gunfire, get down on your stomach with your feet towards the yeah. attacker, your face away from them and your hands covering your head. And that will basically minimize exposure to any vital organs right. from the gunfire. Because your heart would be on the ground, basically. Your heart would be on the ground, your, your face, face and brain yep. protected, your lungs are protected, your back. I mean, a lot of people, I think, don't realize this, but the what we call quote-unquote assault weapons are actually relatively weak compared to like hunting weapons in terms of their penetration power. Okay. And so... Oh yeah, because hunting weapons would have to stop like big big animal yeah they're significantly stronger and what the you know like the ar-15 whatever knockoffs get in rapidity they kind of lose some of that power and so if you get hit in a less vital place you actually have you know pretty good yeah a decent chance of surviving as long as you get treated soon enough so if you can like just only expose the stronger parts of your body where it won't be life-ending like you're you might be okay. Yeah. Hopefully you'll be okay. Yeah. But I think that's a good piece of advice too, like the where your feet are towards the attacker, not your head being towards the attacker. Because right. it's probably the default is it's to just go down, drop. Yeah. And if you're dropping, you're probably going to lean towards the situation because you're looking at it, but you have to deliberately turn yourself around, yep. which is definitely a non-intuitive thing right, to exactly. do. Exactly. I would not have thought of that. So, so that's yeah. definitely a good one to know. 
Oh yeah, there's another one here where a lot of so I didn't know this. When you're lost, people will usually circle in the direction of their dominant I hand. Know that either, yeah. That's pretty fascinating. Yeah. And so you might think you're going in a straight line, but you're actually going in a circle, like within the same square mile area. Yeah. Which is kind of terrifying. Yeah. That's <laughs> but I guess that's why you need a compass. Oh wait, you've never. Uh, I think we talked about this one. You haven't read Deep Survival, right? No. There's so much like that would be worth doing an episode. And actually, I have talked to the author before too. He's a pretty cool guy. He's a little bit older now. I think the book's from a little maybe a dozen years ago or something, but very, very interesting. And this actually, this thing came up where when people are lost, they tend to circle in the same square mile area. And then you get increasingly irrational about it where you think you've traveled miles and miles and miles. Like you basically, it's kind of like your scenario you described with the fire. You just lose control of your rational brain as these things happen, like panic sets in. Yeah, he basically like to distill down the whole book, like the people who can stay rational and the people who can maintain hope tend to survive these dire scenarios. Those were his two takeaways. And like, that's kind of what Neil Strauss talks about too a little bit. It's interesting because that's basically the same conclusion Viktor Frankl had yeah. <laughs> from in Man's Search for Meaning. So it must be some like over or underarching current of or where this underlying current yeah. is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Survival, whether it's in the wilderness or concentration, concentration camps yeah. or yeah. disaster scenarios. Yeah. Or- yeah, this is I mean, it's yeah. fascinating too. Um, I thought the solar still stuff was really cool. That was so cool. Yeah. I did not I didn't know, know about any of that. <laughs> yeah. Wait, hold on, we have to look up how this works because so I wish he gave like some diagrams. Yeah, <laughs> he gave diagrams of all this other shit, but not, and not the solar still. <laughs> okay, so this is apparently a magical device that just summons water out of the ether. Here's how it works. Apparently, a solar still distills water using the heat of the sun to evaporate, cool, then collect water. That's another good thing to have in the bug out bag. Actually, enough of the materials to make a solar still. Yeah. So it sounds like a garbage bag, like a cup, huh? So you can do it with a cone. This is so interesting. You, we'll put a link to this in the show notes. Here's I mean, it didn't look like it was a ton of water, but it's much better than no water. That's yeah, sure. exactly. All right, so here's the basic way to do it. A pit is dug into the earth, at the bottom of which is placed the receptacle that will be used to catch the condensed water. Small branches are then placed with one of their ends inside the receptacle and their other ends up over the edge of the pit, forming a funnel to direct the condensed water into the receptacle. A lid is then put over this funnel using more small branches, leaves, grass, etc. The completed trap is left overnight and moisture can be collected from the receptacle in the morning. Okay, so it's basically taking dew and directing it into the into funnel. Something, yeah. yeah, forming dew collects on and runs down the outside of the funnel and into the receptacle. This water would typically evaporate with the morning sun and thus vanish, but the lid traps the evaporating water and raises the humidity within the trap, reducing the amount of water that's lost. That is so cool. That's awesome. That's really that cool. That is so useful. I love that. Yeah, so it's not explained very well in the book, but that makes sense now. Uh, Usually trapping dew. That makes more sense. Trapping yeah. dew, yeah. So that's something that I guess you can do almost anywhere. Yeah. And he said it was relatively clean too. Yeah. Right? Like that was the thing because uh, he said there's a lot of unclean sources of water out exactly, there. Exactly, right? If you're so, getting it from ponds and yeah. lakes, you never know what you're getting. But if yeah. you're doing this, it's probably basically pure water. So as long as you have a clean right. collection unit. But you could probably do this pretty much anywhere because I imagine even in the desert, there's going to be some humidity. Some that, moisture. There, yeah, that gets turned into dew, but it probably burns off right away as right. soon as the sun comes up so you right. don't see it. But you could still potentially trap it in this. And you'd trap some. You'd trap some. Yeah, yeah, better than nothing. Yeah. Like in the absolute worst case, you can get by on like one quart of water a day, I think. If it's like really dire scenario. For how long? Indefinitely? Uh, I'm probably not totally indefinitely, but let's see. Minimum. Okay, so maybe two quarts. Oh, that's what it says. Well, yeah. this is what it's, it's not. That doesn't seem to be a minimum though. Let's see. That doesn't seem to be a survival. Yeah, that's not like a dire situation. Okay, survival hydration. Let's there we see. go. This is not to be this tried. not to be tested. <laughs> it's probably good advice. <laughs> okay, so it looks like we lose a bit over a liter a day. So you probably need a little bit, like a liter and a half. Yeah, so 32. Just over a liter. 
So just over a quart. Minimum daily water need 32 ounces. All right. We don't recommend that. And that's for a 154 pound man. 32 ounces is it's a quart. Yeah. No, yeah. but that's a, a sizable amount of it's water. Still, yeah. It's still you, a decent amount of water. Right? I mean, it's not bad if you were in a bug in scenario and you had prepped and had water. And also if you have like, you know, the 40 gallons in the hot water tank and like that can actually last quite a while if it's just you or just you and one other person. Right. If you're both drinking awesome like half a gallon a day, yeah. yeah, to be safe, then yeah, you've got 40 days of water. Yeah, water that's tank. actually pretty good. Bad part of living in an apartment, yeah. a water tank. Right, exactly. Unless you fight and get down there to your exactly. church in your basement. And it's probably a giant one. Oh, yeah, it's probably massive. But you got the whole building to fight off to get there. <laughs> got to get the gun. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out, like, even though it's so hard to get them, like, everyone in New York has one. And you're like, I'm the only one who followed the rules. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you don't want to be that person. Yeah. It's a game theory scenario. Exactly, yeah. No, but the water thing is like, if it was just you and two people or you and one other person, even if you buy like gallon jugs, right? And you have like, I don't know, 20 of those or 30 of those or something. I mean, that's a lot for an apartment, but it still would last a decent amount. To hide it, yeah. yeah, but it would, yeah, but it could last a decent amount. Uh, I didn't realize the quant amount you needed was that low. I mean, it's not ideal, I'm sure. Not ideal, but... But you'll survive. Right. Yeah. And I feel like... I mean, most of the recommendations were three to seven days. So if you can make it a week, then that's probably enough time for things to settle down and for it to be easier to bug out if you need to. Right. Right. right? Especially in a if you're in a populated area anyway, because if you can stay in for seven days, you would imagine that the rioting has slowed down. Hopefully. In those seven days. Yeah. <laughs> that would be crazy if it lasted longer. Than I that. know. Right. Because anything that would last longer than that would have to be more of a movement, you know, 99% type right, thing. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But if it's full on riot, looting, that's probably going to blow over pretty quickly. Yeah. Especially if it's contained to a single city, because pretty soon that's the National Guard will right, come exactly. in. And, yeah. 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 So seven days, seven days, probably seven good days you're probably good for food and water. I mean, food you're, should be good to go. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. You could just not eat. Yeah. But if you just get some like quest bars and yeah, you'll be nuts, you'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but actually, yeah, speaking of the city, there's two other things they recommend that would be pretty interesting. One is you can actually take urban escape and evasion courses. That could be fun. You, yeah. So I've got a friend who's just telling me about this. He did one in Austin and you do it with off-duty police officers and they basically train you how to escape from the police. And like, which is kind of cool. <laughs> kind of but, cool. The, but the idea is that like, if you were trying to hide from the military, right? So a lot of uh, like soldiers will go through this because say they're going over to the Middle East, right? Yeah. They're worried about getting caught. And you'll do stuff like learn how to break out of handcuffs, how to zip ties, how to get out of a car trunk, how to hide yourself in the environment. And you learn over a few days or how to pick locks. You learn over a few days and then the final test is them hunting you. And you have to like get through the city and do a few things to pass. And so he said that they like they pick you up and they blind, they put a hood over your head, they zip tie your hands behind your back and throw you in the trunk of a car. And then you have to get out, you have to break, you have to get out of the zip ties, you have to get out of the trunk, and then you have to escape from them and like hide for the rest of the day, doing a few things throughout the city without getting caught. Uh, because they are looking for you, but there are also other off-duty police officers who are driving around looking for you, and you don't know who they are, and they look like civilians, right? So you have to be super paranoid, incognito, like, yeah. yeah. But anybody can do this. And this is when he tried to do the cross-dressing thing, right? In the book. Yeah, this yeah. is when Neil tried to do the cross-dressing yeah. thing. <laughs> but yeah, anybody can do this in like most major cities. That's really cool. And it's not too expensive. You said it was like 400 bucks. That's not that bad for not a few bad. days. It's yeah, so worth it. seems so... And it's yeah, another good form of insurance, and yeah. it's fun. And it's, it's probably... Yeah, he said it was one of the most fun things he did. Yeah. <laughs> so I we should look into doing it because I'd That'd love be to, cool. especially like doing it in a city like New York. Actually, oh. might be easier than Austin. It's probably easier so many here. more yeah. people. It's so much bigger. Yeah, right. Like, and I there's so know. many other places you can go. Like, yeah, 
You just go straight to Times Square, hang out in the crowd, yeah. right? Like nobody's going to be able to pick you out there. Times Square or, I mean, unless they make a rule, like you have to stay within a certain yeah. section of the city. Otherwise, I was going to say you could even go to like Brooklyn or Queens. Well, they or, give you they give you missions. Oh, so you probably have to go to certain You have area. to go to certain areas, right? Oh, you have to go like talk to this person in this store. You have to like go uh, take a okay. photo of this thing, yeah. right? So that, you know, contains it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It sounds like fun. Sounds like should fun. should do it sometimes. Sounds like something that would be yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the other thing they mentioned is just what we've already been saying about whether you should stay in and get out of the city. It's like if you can get out ahead of time, get out. If you can't, then just stay in for as long as possible. Uh, yeah, like honestly, okay. if there was a Sandy type of thing, like we could go to Maryland and you can go to Virginia. I could go to Maryland, you can go to Virginia probably. And if you can get out before be the okay. storm. Yeah, if you can't, that's what I mean. Like because yeah, yeah. hurricanes, you tend to have some days of advance warning. Right. And it's worth it to just and go. It's just right? get out, yeah. Like this is the thing that always baffles my mind about people sticking it out for hurricanes. It's like, what do you have to gain? Yeah. Right? right. It's like I get it, it's your house and your stuff is there, but that doesn't mean that you have to like But also what what can it. you do about yeah, what it? What do you think you're gonna do? You can't fight off the hurricane. Uh, yeah. Wasn't there that in there thing? with a bucket? Wasn't there ah. that thing in Harvey where there was this I think it might have just been a joke, but uh there was this thing going around of like it might have just been a fake article. Uh, I'm pretty sure actually now, as I'm about to say it out loud, it was, but it was like somebody saying, just shoot at it if it gets too close. <laughs> no, people were doing that. <laughs> what? Yeah. That was, was real? It was in Florida, I think. Okay. okay Texas. Florida. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> apparently people were doing it. And then some police department had to put out like some tweets saying, please stop shooting at the hurricane. <laughs> what the because I, I guess the winds can pick up the bullets and like send them back around to like another area. Another yeah. Like hit yeah. other people or other stuff. What the fuck is shooting it going to do? Like, <laughs> dude, it just feels good. What? It feels right. Yeah. <laughs> you just got to tell God how pissed off you are. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, but that's what I mean. Like going back to your point about people who want to stay, it's like you can't do much to. Yeah, what are you gonna do to stop it? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. And then you just bog down the rescue resources too. Right. I mean, I understand if maybe like if something's a surprise, like an earthquake, mm-hmm. you don't well, really yeah, know. Something you can do. You don't there. really know, right? But yeah, a hurricane. A lot of times, you have a few days to get away. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe if someone's sick or can't leave, I don't like. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure there's reasons, but I'm sure there's also a lot of people who just don't go. Exactly. I feel like a lot of people just put it off and put it off and put it off. Yeah. And I think that's one of the hard things with a lot of this stuff is that it all comes across as non-urgent but important. And those things are always so hard to do where it's like, oh, I can I can do the bug out bag later. I can do it you know, yeah. next week or something. I mean, I'm guilty of that. Yeah, I'm guilty of it too. I mean, I've been thinking about doing it for the last three weeks now, yeah. right? But It'd be easy to just keep putting it off forever because it doesn't feel like it's important. Until and then you need it. Exactly. As and soon then, as it feels important, it's like, too late. And then you have that. I'm sure you'd have the like serious, oh, fuck scenario. That should have mm-hmm. moved up my to-do list. <laughs> and at that point, then all the like emails you responded to are totally trivial. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, well, what was I thinking? Yeah. We should agree that we'll buy our we'll yes. buy our stuff this weekend. Yes, exactly. Right. At least have the basic bug out bag. Exactly. At the very minimum, we'll do that. All right. This weekend. This weekend. Shake on it. Shake Pinky on swear. It. Pinky, Pinky swear. swear. All right. Pinky swear. It's going to happen. Yeah. We'll compile our bags. We'll put links to them in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, exactly. That's our, that's our <laughs> commitment device. Yes. So it has yeah, to be Yeah, that's notes. a good point. And then you can see what we're putting in them. Exactly. Let's see. So for that chapter, I mean, the caches were the other interesting oh, thing. Oh, yeah, the caches were cool, too. That one <laughs> made me think of like squirrels hiding nuts. Yeah. Right? I was thinking about what I would put and where I would put it, though. Because it'd have to be a place where it was accessible by you. So without like, I don't know, like you wouldn't want to put it on like the 60th floor of a building or something. Because that might be hard. Like imagine if there's no power. Like how the fuck are you going to get up there? I mean, you could climb up the stairs, but that'd be quite a hike. Yeah. I mean, putting stuff at a second house is an obvious one. Yeah, so you're thinking about Virginia. Okay, that right. makes sense, right? But I was thinking like within the city, 
yeah, are there places that would make sense that like a homeless person wouldn't go into either? <laughs> I, I mean, theoretically, if I could go out by the shoreline and dig a hole somewhere and hide the raft and some supplies, I would do that. Yeah. But I really don't want to have that conversation with a cop. Yeah. Of like, hey, why are you out here digging a hole at yeah. two in the morning? <laughs> on the, right? Like, it's probably not worth it here. But I feel like if you were in more of a wilderness area, right, or where you could get to nature faster. Yeah. So this whole point, like more of a wilderness area. Mm-hmm. What if you had to get to virginia without a car or without a train or without a plane like you have to get down there on foot that wouldn't be that hard actually no but i'm saying like you might need supplies that's what i'm saying like so that may not be the worst like if that was your plan was to go to virginia right then maybe things along the way I mean, the th- there I feel might like the make thing more to sense. Do, yeah, I feel like the thing That's to do would be to yeah. plan out a route and then put some stashes along the way. You could totally do it. Yeah. And it wouldn't take that long to get there. Like five or six days probably. Right? No, it's like 300 miles. So if you're on Oh, flight. yeah, Virginia's further than where... Because I know mine, I, when I put in my GPS, it's like 220 from my parents' house I guess to get up could, here. You could probably walk 40 miles a day. How probably. Many, how many miles could you walk a day? If you're walking at three miles an hour... Would you be walking? At th- well, I guess with walk, stuff, probably. Yeah. yeah, with stuff. And so if you're going to walk for like... 12 hours, 36, you get miles. 36 miles is pretty good. Yeah. So you get to Virginia in 10 days or so. So 10 days of supplies, not that much stuff actually. Yeah. As long Especially as your food, you don't, well, you'd want some food, but there's things you can have that are very calorically dense that don't weigh that much nuts. It's five gallons of water, which is kind of a lot, yeah. but you could probably figure out a way to get water along the route. Yeah. Especially because you're definitely going to go over streams and stuff. So as long as you have uh, in bug at bag, I think. Yeah. Some iodine about, tablets. Yeah. The yeah. tablets to purify it. Or at least like disinfect it. Disinfect, yeah. <laughs> I don't so. know how pure you'll be getting, but. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be that pure. It doesn't have to be that pure. Yeah, I mean, that was, I don't know if it was in. A little diary never hurt anybody. <laughs> Actually, in that situation, though. It has, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> you lose water too, right? Exactly, like, yeah. Yeah. I think it was in the other article, not an emergency, but he pointed out that most natural water sources are actually totally fine to drink. They're not safe to drink in a flood because floods will carry waste from industrial plants and stuff. But as long as you're not in a flood situation, you can actually drink from most rivers and stuff and be pretty oh, okay. okay, which is good. To I guess it makes sense because if you think about evolutionarily. Right. You should be able well, to. You should be too, able yeah. to. Yeah. And apparently we've done a good job of cleaning this stuff up. Okay. So you don't want to drink from the river like in the city. Okay. That's yeah. bad news. <laughs> probably drinking out of the Hudson or the East River is probably yeah. not the best idea. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't like <laughs> lean over and drink from the Potomac outside yeah. M Street in Georgetown. Right. Like that's that's a bad idea. <laughs> but if you're, you know, further upstream a right. little bit, eh, you're probably going to be probably okay. okay. Let's talk about water is making me thirsty. I know. I'm thirsty too. The last section is just about rescue and what actually happens in some of these disaster scenarios where he really goes all in. He joins EMTs. He helps with like, I don't remember the name of the emergency group in California, but it's just sort of like the last phase, basically getting where his point is kind of like we were saying, you rise to the level or you sink to the level of your training. You want to be prepared for disasters. And so he really deliberately exposes himself to them. Which is like pretty extreme, obviously, but probably not a bad idea. I mean, I've kind of thought about doing EMT stuff for this reason. Yeah, because you get more exposed to it. So you're you probably would be less likely to get that blank mind result. Although the only thing is that it's not you in those EMT scenarios, right? I mean, like it's not the disaster has happened to somebody else and you're definitely involved in the rescue. But it, the disaster has not happened to you. That's true. But right? it is still a disaster. It's still a disaster. Right? So no, it's like still definitely it's better, better than nothing. nothing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It uh, just is, might not be a cure all. Like it might not push you. Like it might not be like then yeah, when the disaster happens to you, you're like, oh, I've been in here this situation a hundred times. <laughs> like probably not. Yeah. <laughs> but it's better than nothing. Better than nothing. So yeah, I mean, he just points out that like if you really want to be prepared, you have to find a way to expose yourself. But then he also talks about all of the actual risks, right? Yeah. Where, I mean, right now in the U.S., the thing that's most likely to kill you is your diet. 
right? If you're eating like shit and you're overweight, yeah. that's going to kill that's you much sooner and much more likely yeah. than terrorism or like a hundred year flood yeah. or any of that stuff, right? I mean, so, getting in shape is a really good thing to do regardless. It's probably of, the best investment you can yeah. make, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like nothing will do more for longevity and, and also your ability to survive. Exactly. Situations. I was just about yeah. to say. <laughs> Although maybe the, somebody who's very overweight can survive off their own fat for longer it's fair but i'm not sure it's a good not. investment probably yeah. not a good investment no <laughs> somebody else could survive off their fat too that's true <laughs> <laughs> got dark okay <laughs> <laughs> Note uh, self, do not do that not. when he runs out of food <laughs> <laughs> you're tall <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's like he weighs more than me. Yeah. For the good of the group, he should be the one who does. muscles. Muscles probably better than fat too. Like you're, yeah. you're pretty thick guys. So. Yeah. Uh, but in motor vehicles too, that's right? already sizing me up. Yeah. Like I can get exactly forty two pounds of meat off of this guy. I got some ice cream in the freezer. You should really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and then motor vehicles, right? So there were forty five thousand deaths from motor vehicles, but only twelve thousand from guns yeah. in the year he wrote this. That's still a lot. But, a lot. Yeah. It's still a lot, but I think we fixate on gun deaths way more. Oh, yeah. Right. We, we don't really talk about the car accidents that yeah. much because it's kind of in the background. Yeah. Bit. But you're four times more likely to get killed in a car accident than get killed by a gun. And it's probably more than that because if you aren't involved in gang related disputes or you, don't, or you don't live in one of those neighborhoods. Yeah. 80% of gun homicides are gang related. Right. So. Oh, yeah. Not, so that all, I didn't even realize it's that high. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. Right. Which is people who would get guns anyway if they right. were illegal. Right. And it's mostly like disputes. It's not uh, it's like not killing in cold like blood. Mass shootings like Vegas. Was exactly. Or, yeah. So you're probably like 10 times more likely to die in a car accident than get shot. But we fixate on the gun stuff. And it also makes for better TV. It's going back to amusing ourselves. Better TV, better news. Yeah. Right. Like it's more interesting to talk about fear mongering. Yeah. So, so there's something there too yeah. of why we fixate on it. I mean, this is why I don't drive and why I don't get in cars like as much as I possibly can. Because mm. you know it's like percentage wise. Yeah, I know. It's like if there's anything that will kill me in the next 10 years, it is most likely a car. Like it's the most dangerous thing that you can do on a daily basis for yeah. most people. Hopefully like self-driving fixes a lot of that. Yeah. But it's just a so. weird thing that we have made ourselves comfortable with. There's a really cool yeah. online simulation. I can't remember the name, but hopefully we can find it and put it in the show notes. But it's sort of like a game. It basically says uh, like, here's a population of 100 people, but they don't age. So what will they die of? Oh, yeah. And then it, the time ticks up. It shows up, you what. And it shows you what they die of. It's almost probably almost all car accidents, right? It's like half. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> maybe more than half of them die of car accidents. And then it's like, you know, one person dies of terrorism and yep. like three or four fall down the stairs. Just and gonna like a few of them get poisoned. And, yep. But then it's just like cars, 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 like a few plane accidents, right? Cars, 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 cars. So once I saw that, I was just sort of like, okay, yeah, this, this is not, <laughs> I don't want this. It also life applies anymore. if you get into Ubers. It's the same exact thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a little better because you're in the back seat. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Not much better. I mean, Although the person might have been driving for like 12 hours, might be tired. Like there's all sorts of things around that. I got, I got an Uber one morning in SF and I got in at like 8 a.m. And I was like, hey, how's it going? Good. He's like, pretty good, man. I've been driving since midnight. Like, I think you'll be one of my last rides. I was like, whoo, do not want to be in here right now. <laughs> like, That's not what you want to hear. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> one star. <laughs> Yeah. Also, I mean, the self-driving thing is interesting. This is definitely going to be a tangent, but it's a related yeah. tangent, if that makes any sense. Go for it. So self-driving, in theory, it should help a lot with a lot of these issues. But on the other hand, it does create a principal agent problem where like right now, if you think about it, the person driving is also going to get hurt if anything goes wrong. But like the software engineer writing the self-driving program is not going to get hurt if something goes wrong. 
Yeah, but that doesn't mean they're not going to optimize for safety. No, no, it doesn't mean they're not going to optimize for safety, but it just feels frat. Like, it feels like there could be some fragility in that system. Okay, so one car accident will not cause all other cars to have an accident. Yeah. I'm basically, I'm saying, like, you could have an issue where you have, like, 50,000 car accidents happen at a time because some same time. bug happens that yeah. was not predicted for. Yeah, that, that's what that's I mean true. more of. It's like, yeah, that's where I was going with that. Is like, you might not have as many frequent accidents, but you might have just these like massive, like every car drove off the Brooklyn Bridge today because like, yeah, there was a software. Weird bug in the code. Yeah. yeah. Or somebody um, hacks it. Yeah, that's what I mean. So I don't know if self-driving will necessarily like in the aggregate, like stop all the issues point. around accidents. Hopefully it does. Hopefully it does. That would be awesome. Yeah. But people, I mean, especially during the transition phase, people will find ways to screw with it. Mm. But security is also not perfect either, right? Like, so hacking could not be, I would not put that past a normal occurrence. Like, I could see that happening pretty regularly. Oh, yeah. Just mischief Uh, makers and... Some of the, what's his name? Sammy Kamar, I think that's his name. Uh, He's the guy who did the MySpace bug. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. He does some stuff around car hacking Mm. where he like built an app for his phone where you can just walk up to a car and plug in the car's registration code. You know, the one that's like that every car has like a, yeah, the VIN number. That's right. And then his phone can unlock the car and turn it on and you can just drive away in it. (laughs) (laughs) If if it's one of those newer cars. Yeah. Right. So that kind of stuff is obviously more possible now than it was before. Right. That's what I mean. Right. Yeah. Yeah, But yeah. But he has to still walk up to the car. Right. So when it's fully self-driving, you might be able to just drive it from like and just hack Russia. in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure stuff like that will happen. Yeah. 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 So that's what I mean more of is like it won't be like a daily occurrence, hopefully, when they're self-driving cars, but the aggregate might still be a lot. Yeah. Because it's just dangerous technology if you think about it. Cars in general, you know, it's yeah. like a weird thing that we do where you yeah. get in a two-ton chunk of steel and move right. it around at high speeds. I mean, right. if anybody's ridden a motorcycle. Or, I mean, I've, I realized this just on my boosted board, right? Which is a motorized longboard. It'll do like 20 miles an hour. Like you get up to 20 miles an hour and there is a distinct feeling in your brain that your body shouldn't be moving that fast. And a car insulates you from it. So you don't right, feel, so you don't feel it the car. same way. Yeah. But I imagine motorcyclists feel this too. I've been told that they do. But when you're in it, there's some part of you that's like, I really shouldn't be going this fast. Like this is not natural. My reflexes are not built for this. Right. Right. Things happen faster than you can like react to them. Oh yeah. Yeah. So there is that element with cars where it's just like, it's kind of a crazy thing that we do that, that we just like get in these boxes and move around right next to other boxes and that we get to control them. Right. Right. It's, uh, I don't know. I think, I feel like in 20 years, we're going to look back on driving as just insane activity we used to do. It also does enable a lot of stuff though. That's the thing. Not just like necessarily driving as individuals, but like trucks and like, it does enable some things, but yeah, it's in aggregate is pretty dangerous. It's kind of like fossil fuels, right? It's like, yes, fossil fuels are bad for the environment, but what they have allowed us to do, right? What they've unlocked. It actually makes you wonder if like all the economic growth in the past, like 250 years is basically, we've just sped up the fossil fuel burning and that's basically led to a ton of economic growth. And then if and when that stops, then everything just slows down. Like you just kind of released all this because it's energy, right? At the end of the day. So you just release a ton of shitload of energy, which is like, it is a depletable resource. Sort of, yeah. Sort of. I mean, fossil fuels are. <laughs> well, there is like a physical limit. Well, I'm not saying we're close to the limit. Right, right. There yeah, is a physical limit. a physical limit. limit. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. But it, it, I think the interesting thing with that is like how we are naturally getting off of it. Yeah. And that was like Musk's whole point with Tesla, right? Is like, well, nobody's going to buy an electric car because it's good for the environment. Right, exactly. They like care Besides maybe a very, very tiny percentage of the yeah, population. They'll do it because it's the best car, right. right? And he sort of proved out that exactly. hypothesis. So. But I think that, and that applies to a lot of any company that's trying to make an environmental case is like, that can't be the only benefit. It's got to be like, this is 
better than the competition. And it, oh, by the way, it also happens to be environmentally friendly. Yeah. Because if your whole pitch is the environmentally friendly thing, it's going to be tough. Yeah. I was talking to Zach Slayback about this. Okay. He came on Nat Chat a few episodes yeah. ago. And that was his point about nonprofits, about how in concept, right, a nonprofit is great because yeah. it's like, oh, you can focus on doing good. But a lot of the really big advancements in a lot of these areas have come from for-profit companies because right. they have more of an incentive to really create a change and do a good job of it in a way that people will be incentivized to help with. If your argument is like, oh, you should do this because it's good, that's not motivating. Right. right? But oh, you should do this because it will make your life better. Right. Okay. Yeah. Now it's motivating. Exactly. Or even to like work on something, you can get people to work really, really hard when there's a profit motive. Yeah. Right. But the pure, you know, utilitarian motive, well, it'll work for some people, but yeah. a lot of people a little harder. Any last thoughts on surviving the apocalypse and prepping? Besides that, I need to go make my bug out bag. I know. Like, we need to go get our bug out bags. ASAP. Yeah. <laughs> Besides that, like, it was cool how he kind of walked us through his kind of transformation in the book of how he started off as seemingly pretty much equivalent to us, like these complete novices raised in the suburbs. Like he was raised in a city. So arguably he might have more street smarts than us probably. (laughs) But uh, yeah, like he had none of these skills going in. And at the end, to be fair, he was spending all his time on it and seemingly all his money as well. Way into debt apparently. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he went a little far with it. Yeah, I was kind of amazed I was reading through that part. I was like, you took out a loan? (laughs) Well, multiple, right? Because he got the mortgage He mortgaged his house too. Mortgage, he got a second mortgage on his house and took out a loan. Yeah. (laughs) Granted, he was also in like the cheap credit era. You couldn't do that anymore. It's true. This was like 06 or something. It was like 05, 06. Yeah, Yeah, it was literally free money. Yeah, he was like, they didn't ask me any questions about why I was taking out a second mortgage on my home i just told the loan officer and she did it yep. <laughs> whatever yeah good old days but yeah we're not saying go into debt to go do this but like you can get a bug out think about it yeah and i definitely would say for the reading pick up emergency by neil strauss check out the doomsday planning for less crazy folk article that we'll link to and if you want some related made you think episodes if you haven't listened to them yet definitely check out sovereign individual and the cryptocurrency episode yeah. I feel like they're both pretty related here. Yeah. yeah, we could have talked more about cryptocurrency on this one, but you can just listen to it on that. Yeah, you can just listen to it there. Get all the cool details there. Not, not a bad way to hide some of your money away. And it's been on a big run in the last 24 hours. Yeah. Bitcoin's up to, what, 57, 58 now? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. Probably when people actually listen to this, though, they'll be like, that's so out of date. That I know. so out of date, whether it's up or down. Like, exactly. From that. But it's just so funny because it crossed the 5,000 threshold yep. and then just... Pew! Yeah, boosted from there. Yep. And then pulled ethereum and litecoin up with it ethereum's at like 350 okay yeah that's what i, I didn't see it at 350 it's like three something three lower in the threes but what about litecoin i haven't checked i have some uh, litecoin but i haven't checked it in a while it's like back up to 70 it's not as We're high as making it. money on it again <laughs> yeah i know it's not as high as it was yeah, it was like 90 for a little bit right yeah like that was 80. crazy that was, was up at nine that was like right when i bought some too after talking to you mm. nat convinced me to buy litecoin at one point and then i I bought some that day and then later on because the deal's in uh, California, right? So I, I had texted him when I bought it, but then I guess by the time he saw it, he was like, let me guess, Nat talked you into buying Litecoin. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And then I was like, I'm already making money on it though. <laughs> and then like it w- went up for like two weeks and then just cratered from well, there. Was, but I didn't buy much, so yeah, it was fine. I was buying it when it was at $10. Yeah, too, so, so. <laughs> it's a totally different equation for you. <laughs> I bought it at like 60. Yeah. No, no, 50 something, 50 something. Okay, but still, well, you're back in the green. Yeah, back in the green. So yeah, I didn't buy much either. It was just, yeah. it's play money. It's fun to play. That one's play money. But yeah, so go listen to the crypto episode. Pick up Emergency by Neil Strauss. Yeah. Read the articles. Check out the show notes. Neil Strauss wrote The Game also, which is a really fun read. Fantastic book. If you haven't read that, it's, it's not. Older, it's not but. just a sleazy pickup book. It's actually like no, a phenomenal story. Yeah, it's so, a, he's, a, he's, he's really, really a good at telling writer. a story. He's really good at telling a story. Yeah, go check it out and uh, join us on the next episode of Made You Think. Think. Thanks, guys.